the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your host, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome to Mid-South Garden. Glad y'all can be with us this morning. I'm Veda with Palladio. Yes, that voice is familiar, Veda, yes. but we missed you last weekend. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I didn't miss y'all. <laughs> She's honest, Jim. And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And and I'm Jim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good morning, everybody. Right. Now, I'm the administrator of our Facebook yes. group. Well, yeah, you're going to be busy. I would have missed you, but when you have your son and granddaughter around, then you know you don't miss anybody. But good. if I was just sick or bored or hanging out, I'd miss you then. Good cover up there, Miss Veda. <laughs> right. You know, I'm not sure that's a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we did. We missed you last mm-hmm. weekend, Veda. It was. Um, but me and Jim, we, uh, you know, we had a few things to talk mm-hmm. about. So, but it's not the same if you're not here. Yeah, you know that. But I do love to hear y'all chat too. So, uh, man, driving in. What about that big full moon up Mother there? Pretty. I told Vader I could have cut my lights off mm-hmm. coming down Walnut Grove, mm-hmm. and it yeah. would have been fine. And I also noticed maybe it's because it's a full moon out there. Mm-hmm. I when I walked out, usually it's just pitch black, dark this yeah. time of year, and I, you know, I just hate it. Yeah. But I thought I saw a little glow other than the moon. But maybe it was <laughs> just the moon. But I'm thinking. Are we already getting longer days? Yeah, you know, right. so maybe wishful thinking. I don't know. Well, I mean, you're right. It. W- <laughs> I can't believe. Actually, I was driving down the interstate, and I was like, "Man, felt a little glare and pulled my sunshade down." <laughs> and then I pulled it back <clears throat> up, and I thought, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "Well, the moon is pretty bright, so y'all have to look out the window if you haven't." And in my wishful thinking, which is not great, I mm-hmm. guess, because about. Four or five days ago, you know, the weather's been pretty dang warm. Yeah. We've had some nice days, yeah. sunny days. And I went inside uh, after work, and I said, Gene, I'm just going to cut the heat off. You know, mm-hmm. we don't even We're need the heat. With it. yeah. Well, this morning, I think need I needed the heat a little bit. <laughs> so the first thing I did when I got up, man, I went, I went over and cut the thermostat on on the upstairs, and I ran downstairs and cut that one on, and I could just feel the heat coming. I'm right. like, oh, this is what it's supposed <laughs> to feel like. So, yeah, um, no, so we're not February. there yet, is my point. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's making me want to be there. And it's making, you know, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to pull all of my dormant shrubs out of the greenhouse and set them around and everything. Well, nobody's still really buying, you know. And uh, if they are, it's something that's going to be green, evergreen, that's green now, or some things that go in a container. But not so much like a hydrangea that's just a bunch of sticks in a bucket. Right no, now. evergreen's a little bit more attractive this time of year. And people are still having functions, and they want mm-hmm. something in those pots that yeah. they just ripped everything out, you know, a month ago. But like you said, but you go to a garden center this time of year, yeah, you can find some evergreens mm-hmm. and some blooming forsythia and quince. And in fact, yeah. we even got some beautiful Edgeworthia in, which we'll talk about later on. I'm going to just come by. With I'm telling you, you I can't get they're it. beautiful. I'm telling you. But something, uh, you know, like that. But like you said, mm-hmm. a, a bunch of sticks coming out of a pot like a old-fashioned hydrangea? Yeah. No, no not no. that good looking this time of year. Right. But I am going to get trees in next week, I think, like some different Japanese maples. And then, of course, you have to have the fringe tree and the ginkgo tree. Mm. And those are those are something that people are a little more inspired to plant as, you know, right now with the weather the way it is, dormant and supposedly winter. <laughs> I had a lady come into the garden center, Jim, the other day, Veda, um, the day before yesterday. And there again, she needed something for her pots because they had a function going on that night at their house. Yeah. You know, and people get it. This time of year, if there's nothing in the pot, to me, that's no big deal. Mm-hmm. But some people, they need something in that pot yeah. if they got people coming over. 
And I said, well, you know, you can put anything in there just for the function. Mm-hmm. She was putting houseplants in there. Yeah, she said, I don't care I if they it. die tonight. They're right. going in these pots, you know, <laughs> so there's ways we can get around it, you know. Yeah. Is it just nice, adds to the happiness of the whole party just to have, you know, just to see the plants instead of a empty container. And I bet you these were up there on the porch by the front door on either side of mm-hmm. that front door and just empty as everything. Yeah. And they're like, everybody's going to be coming through this front door. Right. And I'm not going to have these things empty. Well, I was sitting on the patio looking at my containers and uh, I had had snapdragons and pansies <clears throat> and, and some things that, you know, being in a container don't look as well sometimes, especially with the weather. So I was thinking of all the things I could actually plant in the containers right now that would still make it colorful and happy, mm-hmm. like, um, yeah, like what? Like houseplants. <laughs> yeah, hellebores yeah, waiting mm-hmm. for that. And then just some of the, like, Carex grasses or the Acorus grasses, um, English ivy to trail over, um, evergreens in the in the middle or on the back or mm-hmm. on the side. But the hellebores, yeah, we're getting some of that in, and I can't wait to see the new bloom. Oh, and they're the in full colors. glory right now. Beautiful yeah. Linton Rose out there right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, that's what I did this week was move a whole bunch of Linton Rose and move my dahlias and my peonies from the other house. Um, made wow. a few beds at Christie's and hauled a couple of thousand pounds of rock. Did over. you? Oh, yep. Here you go. In the back of my, my little Ford. So, uh, I was reading about dahlias last night, Jim, and you have to tell me, you know, because usually people will buy the tubers mm-hmm. uh, and plant them, of yeah. course, in the spring, and they typically bloom, you know, much later on. Yeah, mid, is, mid to late summer. Yeah, what is your, what is the key with dahlias? Yeah, my question, too. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, they really don't like the hot, hot weather. Mm-hmm. Got to have really good drainage, yeah. but it's more, it's more of our climate than anything. Yeah. But you can see people grow some good-looking dahlias. Probably like Jim. Jim's so not had that us. trouble, you know. Yeah. I have them planted in fairly poor soil. Um, you know, it, it, I did some soil prep when I planted them, but I mean, I didn't plant them in the elevated beds that drain soil. Mm. Um, they get, they were getting eight hours plus of sun. Um, See, that, and, to me, that's and they, just. And they've done quite well. They've come back for like five or six years. So I know. Doesn't that blow you away? I know. We used but, to never depend on yeah. them. Yeah. You know, but. They're, they're doing just fine, they now, are, and they're not very deep, you know? Mm. No, are these like the dinner plate dahlias? Or? Um, they're not as big as the dinner plate, but, uh-huh. you know, they're five or six inches across. They're nice, and I like the multicolor ones. Uh, now, I do have a big purple one, which I haven't been able to locate yet. I know it's there. I just don't know exactly where it is. <laughs> but Unless that mold took it. Yeah. Well, you know, um, as we all struggled with doing the dahlias, I never really saw, you know, why why do they want to do the dahlias? But then when I went to Mendocino, California, mm. went to the Botanic Garden area, and they have, I mean, dahlias that are as tall as me and mm-hmm. fields of them and colors like you wouldn't believe and big dinner plate blooms and just went on and on. And I thought, well, no wonder everyone is trying to make dahlias work. Yeah. and, and uh, But I've seen some really, like Jim's talking about, I've seen some really good looking dahlias here in the Mid-South. But if you read about them, though, they're like, yeah. good right. luck. Right. You know? you, that's why you get them for reading about them. <laughs> Go yeah. talk to somebody at the garden center. Isn't that the yeah. truth? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, yeah. and so I guess, you know, even spring bulbs are starting to come in now. Uh, the dahlias, the cannas, uh, you know, those type of things, mm-hmm. elephant ears. Uh, I'd still give it just a minute before I put mm-hmm. them in the ground. Yeah, These soil temperatures so. are still a little cool. 
Of course, it's usually a little wet this time of year, and you really don't want to get any rot process going when you put those tubers in the ground. So you can buy them now while the selections are good, but I just wouldn't put them in the ground. Same thing with uh, caladium bulbs. You know, well, I'm sorry. I planted mine. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> I replanted mine. Well, in that case, Jim, well, I yours, think I would. But, like, yeah, because yours are established and acclimated to what's been going on. No, I just didn't want them to dry out, mainly. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, But they'll be good, huh? And hellebores? You said you moved some Lenten rose? Moved a bunch of hellebores, yeah, that I dug up some of the doubles and pretty ones I like. I've got, you know, 50 or 60 more that I don't know what I'm going to do with. Um, but I'm Goodness over. gracious. <laughs> 50 um, to 60 more. Yeah, I've got one patch that's, I don't know, it's five feet across. It's huge. Wow. Been there forever. Uh, and it threw a couple of years ago, it threw a white ceiling off of it. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to dig that one out. Yeah, right. Uh, Leave all those. You know, it's, it's just a, it's a, kind of a pale purple. It's not really a, a, a super attractive flower, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they, they point almost straight down. Yeah. So the old fashioned. Yeah. Yeah, but a lot of the newer hybrids, those but it blooms, is something evergreen in the garden. I yeah. know. You know, and the foliage can be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Also, some of them have like little veins through them that are white, or it's mottled looking, mm-hmm. or a little. Some of them are kind of a frosty blue, almost oh, yeah. the foliage. So, yeah. otherwise, if it's not blooming, the foliage, and plus, it's like a dry shade plant. Mm-hmm. And plus the new hybrids that are on the market now. Oh, stunning. I mean, the blooms are so much bigger. Mm-hmm. I mean, they stand up. And when you see, when you look at those hellebores, you do see the bloom. Unlike some of the old fashioned, like Jim's talking about, where you kind of, you know, move the leaves around. Uh-huh. Oh, there's some bloom down there, you know, but they're <laughs> right. absolutely beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to get some yellow ones, but I think I uh, ordered a little too late. So I planted a go- golden lot- lotus uh, a year ago. And. Mm-hmm. With me not being there at the house, it didn't fare as well as I would have liked. So it's still alive, but it's yeah. struggling. So I moved that one over. The uh, Linton Rose called Golden Lotus? Golden Lotus, yeah. And that sounds a beautiful gorgeous. yellow. That sounds beautiful. Yeah, mm-hmm. beautiful. All right, y'all, we're going to go to a break. Get your coffee and your tea together. Don't fall asleep. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. Welcome back. If y'all doze off, you can always listen to us on our podcast. This Mid South Gardening. But if you dozed off, you wouldn't know that, would you? <laughs> <laughs> right. So you just missed that. Um, if y'all want to call in two six zero five nine two six. If you don't want to be on air, you can leave a question with Philip. And of course, you can. Uh, this kind of calls it our texters on oh, yeah. Facebook Live. Like Jan Farmer, she's already uh, children. She's already texting and said, "Good, good morning, Dirt Buddies." And Jan's a uh, uh, listener, and she brings mm-hmm. us great food up here yeah. from time to time. Her husband, Jamie's a wonderful fella, like most gardeners are, but good morning to Jan and Jamie. Jamie, yep, the the master gardeners. No, and I need y'all's opinion. Then we used to say, it's Master Gardener Jamie. Jamie the Master Gardener. Jamie the Master Gardener. Yeah, yeah, okay, opinion. Um, had a lady come into the garden center, and this happens every year. We talk about it every year, and she said, Kenny, what is the best mulch to use around my house and in my beds. And I said, I think any mulch other than rubber mulch, Mm. okay? Mm -hmm. Whether that's cedar, cypress, pine, hardwood, pine needles, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those are great mulches. They all look good. It really comes down to a matter of preference. But I think, I also told her, I said, now one big thing is, 
I also don't really like the double or triple hammered hardwood. Definitely not triple. You know, because it's almost like a a dirt particle. Mm-hmm. It is that mm-hmm. fine. It reminds me of when I put down soil conditioner. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, right. I tried that experiment, and it did not work. And it looked great, but it was just, man, you couldn't get water through that yeah. stuff. And we see that a lot of times, especially with these triple hammered mulches where they're, the particle is so fine, but it looks great when they put it down. But then it starts to dry. Then it, then you get that little crusty crust on the top of it. And it's almost like having a big old umbrella on your beds. So I would stay away from triple hammered hardwood mulch. I'd definitely stay away from rubber mulch. And there's pros and cons. You can read about it. But all these other natural mulchers, uh, mulches that have a little bigger particle, mm-hmm. they're absolutely fine. They're, so there's not one that's better, I don't think, than another. Now, the other thing, I, you know, like I told her, I said... Mulch is there for a reason. It looks good. It helps hold that moisture in in the summertime. It helps keep the roots cool. Mm -hmm. It helps insulate in the winter. I said, but a little bit goes a long way. (laughs) You know, we see there again, people come out there and put down six inches of mulch. I said, that's not good either. Mm -hmm. And if if you're using the best mulch in the world, you still don't want to put it too deep. Right, right. Because anything up around the base of the plant is bad, whatever. Well, the mulch is good. On the ground, only about two inches, but not six. You know, I noticed um, how our volcano mulch starts happening on trees. I was watching crews this past week digging, you know how you do the trench around the flower beds or the trees. Well, they take the soil that they're taking out of the trench and throwing it up on the tree beds. And so they're just adding inches of dirt again. Because I always wondered, how do we just keep getting that mulch up and up and... You know, we talk about the volcanoes a lot. I read an article this week, which kind of opened my eyes a little bit. You know, I always felt like the trees were dying because it was holding so much moisture around the trunk that we were having. Rot issue. Right. Yeah. But that apparently is not true. Uh, and in in the article, he con- this the writer contacted a couple of different professors, and he said what seems to be happening is that by adding the organic matter on top of it, it generates roots above the ground. Right. Those encircle the trunk. I'll be darned. And that's what's in that 15, 20-year range actually kills the tree. So not so much the... Not so much the rot. They're not finding any any of that in that. But I couldn't imagine like a cherry tree, for example, something really thin-skinned. Maybe yeah. Japanese maples also, because, you know, they don't like a lot of mulch mm-hmm. on their root system, period. If you put too much mulch down to start with, and then you volcanoed it up on the trunk, mm-hmm. I just can't see where that would ever be beneficial. Though where, and also, Jim, where it wouldn't, yeah, I get it with the root system because mm-hmm. you are encouraging yeah, roots to come up even further and further. Time, mm-hmm. yeah. But also, where you couldn't get some some decay going mm-hmm. on in there, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought it was an interesting article, but at the same time, the same writer wrote. You should never let mulch touch the trunk. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, so, I see that often. You know, this uh, question mark appeared over <laughs> right. my head there. <laughs> but I guess you could somewhat volcano a tree with mulch and actually not have it touch the trunk. Yeah. I mean, you could still mm-hmm. get that yeah. visual. But then, you know, it washes back onto the trunk. You know, I've tried that before when the tree was a little too deep keeping the soil and everything back, but it would just constantly wash back in. I almost took a picture of what you just talked about, Beta, this week. I mean, every tree, I was on this land, this this commercial area, and every tree uh, that they had gone in there and mulched, and also they did all the beds, but they also did it around the trees. Every one of them 
had mulch piled up on the trunk of that tree. I'm telling you, at least 12 inches. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, surely they know better. Yeah, because it's not like they're intentionally doing this for the trees to die so they can replace them. Because it takes a long time right. to, uh, it's just, I don't know, it's something we started. Like crepe murder. Some One or two people said it was good to do, and then all of a sudden it's just all over town. And I guess... When they see the volcano mulch, somehow they think that's right. Because the maintenance companies does it, then we think it's all good. Of course. I mean, you see them out cutting back crepe myrtles. We go cut ours back. We see them making yeah. you know, mulch volcanoes. We do the same They're thing. Plant- We're kind of following yeah. their lead. They're planting the flowers, so it's time for us to plant the flowers. But, but when it comes down to mulch, I'm telling you, it's just a matter of preference. It's, it's just whatever look you like. Even the colored mulches, yeah. some people love them, whether it's brown, red, orange, and I'm surprised blue is not out there yet they're perfectly fine also but i i'm telling you i just don't like using a a really fine particle triple hammered mulch because i think that particle is way too small jim because i'm telling you mm-hmm. it almost forms a crust on top of your bed with water it's hard to get water through that yeah. stuff yeah i mean if if i could if if dollars weren't important yeah okay mm-hmm. i would use pine straw on everything yeah mm-hmm. you know it's not going to affect your boxwood i mean it's not going to change yeah. your your ph or anything like that it's very attractive air moves through it it blocks a lot of sunlight so it keeps weeds from coming up uh and it also acts as an insulator so it's it's really an excellent and it can be three or four inches deep and and that's fine because it's got air movement through it's it. so fluffy right uh, but if you're using i, I prefer bagged mulch versus what i've seen come from some of the mulch yards and i'm not saying they're all like this but i've seen a lot of it is just well one it's not ready okay yeah Mm -hmm. mostly what do you mean by that it smells it's (laughs) hot to the touch you know it's eating the nitrogen that you're going to put on and i've seen applied to beds you know and within a day or so pansies have turned silver yes it's just bleached them out from the from the tannic acid evaporating out of it, you know. So, good and lord! And not to mention how wonderful that smells. So every time y'all yeah. smell that, it's because the mulch wasn't ready. Yeah, and, and you can also see the little pickup truck driving down through your neighborhood, mm-hmm. pulling in the cove. They're getting ready to put that mulch out, and you're like. Man, that stuff is steaming. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you then know, it's thrown all up around and under your shrubs, and mm-hmm. so now you've got. Hot mulch. <laughs> yeah, and I haven't, you know, with the bag mulch, I haven't seen that to be a problem. No, right. ever. Me yeah. either. Yeah. But well, in, in, well, one time. If you remember, I told you back, <laughs> Dan West over Poplar got a load of mulch oh, one yeah. time from, from an old distributor that was practically sawdust and lumber. Yeah. I could have built my own <laughs> edging with what was in there. Uh, Good grief. You know, oh, and so bags. Ferg wasn't going to accept it. So, yeah. you know, but then they had to do, what are we going to do with this half a truckload of mulch? So mm-hmm. uh, I paid, a, you know, practically nothing for them and took all 400 bags of my house. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you got time for it. Yeah. You, you, you know, and I'm putting it out thin enough, you know, yeah. and I had a really deep backyard with an azalea Man, garden. So a, it was perfect. You right. know? And that's the, that's the week that Jim got mulch yard of the week. Yeah, my, <laughs> and my kids love playing on that pile of mulch. Yeah. It was eight feet tall in their driveway. <laughs> So just just keep that in mind, guys, when you're out shopping for mulches. And I agree with what Jim said. I love pine needles. The further mm-hmm. south you go, especially around Georgia and some of Alabama and some of those places, they use extensively pine needles. Not so much this far north, and I know we're not that far north, but not so much here. But it seems like every year we do sell more and more and more mm-hmm. pine needles than we did the previous year. So, well, so people do like that's it. Good. Yeah, you know, like Jim said, if you had endless money – 
because it is really expensive is. to the, mulch a huge area with bags. The, it, it, well, right. it is, and then with a pine straw, it, just the trucking now has become so expensive. Really? You know, That's we're looking at that like you know on plants now, where it used yeah. to be you could get a load of plants up for twelve or fourteen percent of the invoice. You know, mm-hmm. maybe thirty percent out of Florida. Now yeah. you're looking at thirty to fifty percent uh-huh. or more, you know, on the cost of moving that product to you, and mm-hmm. you know that's not something that retailers can absorb. That has to be passed yeah. on to the to yes, the that's intense consumer. amount now because mm-hmm. you know I was trying to get some gazing balls in, and I just wanted you know twenty twenty gazing balls, but the freight to get it just twenty gazing balls would make them so expensive Mm -hmm. and i'm thinking you know we're looking at a product and going it's not worth this amount and that's because so much of it's freight yeah and that's not going to change anytime soon either no i went at some point this morning um you know we've been talking about mulch and how it really comes down to a matter of preference and the few mulches that you know I, i don't like for those reasons but also the topic comes up from time to time and we've talked about this before also is landscape fabric okay Mm-hmm. So I started reading again about landscape fabric last night and the pros and the cons. And we'll go over the few pros and the quite a few pro, uh, cons of, you know, why we should or shouldn't use landscape fabric. And I know everybody's got their own yeah, opinion. Say and I just, do too, but I'll yeah, just... that's just a one-word answer. <laughs> no, no, it's not. We'll go over all that I, stuff. Well, of course, you know how many variables there are off of that question you just asked. <laughs> and then at some point this morning, we'll also talk about, and we've talked about this before, is the old-fashioned pruning sealer. I told you I got a text on my phone from somewhere about pruning sealer, and I got to reading about it again. So there's also pros and cons there. at myself in the TV. Okay, let's try this again. Good morning, gardeners. Yes, you want to give us a call this morning. It's easy, 901-260-5926. 901-260-5926. You can always shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening. And if you miss all of this, you can listen to the podcast anytime you want, kwamradio.com, streaming live all the time. And I had a lady come into the garden center, and she said she had just listened to the uh, podcast. And they really do enjoy it, they, but they mm-hmm. so a lot of people like listening to it on their own time. Yeah, yeah. so that's what we I appreciate hear that also. Yeah. I always like when uh, I tell them about the show, and then like, oh, that's amazing! What time? Yeah, that shuts them down. Pretty and then quick. It does <laughs> shut them down. That's a good way to put it. And they're like, oh, and I go, but. There's podcast, and then they're excited. Yeah. All right. So, what do y'all think about? The use of landscape fabric. Yeah. Just your first impression of using landscape fabric. Okay. Well, it just depends on where you're going to use it for. But most for plants, I go with no all the time. Well, you're right. I mean, first of all, if you're going to use a landscape fabric in a bed, they like to use a lightweight landscape fabric because you can get landscape fabric that's like a three year you can get one that's yeah. a 20 year mm-hmm. <laughs> right before it which breaks would down be my choice which would you <laughs> but if the, you were using it the, the pros is they they do actually help control weeds no doubt about it okay initially anyway and that's why people put them down is for weed control um but my thing is when it comes to a a true fabric I don't mind using them like in walkways. I mean, if you've got a walkway that's got pavers in it and then pea gravel or something on top of it, 
I think it's the best thing since sliced bread. I really do. Um, but using, you got to be careful, using a landscape fabric in beds, mm-hmm. um, and then you put the mulch on top of that, right? Well, they say eventually the soil up under the fabric becomes more compact, okay? A lot of people say that you read that the soil under the fabric also becomes or stays too wet. Mm-hmm. Now, I can... Why? Yeah, well, <laughs> why? I mean, why would we use it when it does all that well, around your shrubs? Well, because I can see where, you know, especially if you have, like, irrigation, and you have, mm-hmm. you, you know, water coming on basically every day, you know, during the summer months when it's really hot and dry, uh, you know, holding moisture, kind of like mulch does, great. But holding too much moisture down in that soil and also making the soil more compact... And also think about it, when you're trying to add compost or other soil additives, you're not getting below the fabric, right. you know? Yeah. You're, just you're, everything the, you're building on top of the fabric. Of the, yeah, the weight of the mulch on the fabric also causes anaerobic soil underneath. True. Is the right word? Yeah, they're also yeah. <laughs> saying that eventually with fabrics, uh, most of them, uh, you know, woven or not, that the pores become just clogged with dirt particles mm-hmm. so it says it's almost like eventually like you just put down plastic you know and you know how we just hate people Gosh, that, that remember use plastic doing that at the very yeah. at the very beginning but how we went through the time and <laughs> we used to sell the world of plastic for black plastic gardens yeah you know and, people and, and, planting and, tomatoes in them and uh-huh. and you can do it you know but it's it's not really that great so I just, you know, I, I'm guilty. I've used fabric before, and in my mind, I'm definitely using it for, you know, weed control. But like I said, I really think fabric is great for walkways and these other areas where you, you're not just in a garden bed, a garden plot, or a, you know, a bed. Uh, I just don't see, I don't see where the benefits outweigh the cons yeah. when it comes to that. Uh, at, at first, it wasn't all about the soil for us it was about trying to plant in it in the around or in the uh landscaped beds that had the landscape cloth in it like it would be all done and pretty and then they wanted flowers and perennials put right. in and but so what you had to do is do everything back cut x's yeah. in the cloth with the scissors dig a little hole and shove your plant down in there and then try to keep that cloth from getting up back around the plant and people wouldn't plan for that. They would just put it, lay it all out. And then we would come in later when somebody wanted to do flowers and perennials and have to dig through that fabric. And that's where I started noticing, like, well, how could this be good if it's making the soil look like this underneath? Yeah, and also, you know, think about it when it comes to weed control. Uh, you know, you still have to be vigilant with beds that have fabric in them because the wind is blowing weed seed around all the time. And weed seed do blow into beds, okay? So you can get weeds growing above the fabric, you know? So yeah, that's yeah, why the pre-emergence are so right. important. So, you know, th- that's just another one of those things where I think there are absolutely some great uses for it. But I also think where in some of the cases that we do use it for, it's just not really a smart idea. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense, yeah. Jim and Veda? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I should call it pathway fabric. Yeah. I think if you're a gardener, there's not much place for it in your garden. 
Except under a pathway. Yeah. It's too hard to work with, you know, because every year you're like, I want to add some more bulbs. I want to separate a plant. It's just a pain to work with. Well, and and the reason I brought it up, I was talking to a customer yesterday, uh, Mr. Tim, who's a teacher over at Harding Academy. Great guy. Loves to be outside with the kids, you know, get their hands dirty. I'm I'm just telling you, he's just a wonderful guy. And he was talking about landscape fabric. And he said, Kenneth, do you mind bringing that up? Because I'm sure Jim's going to find a reason not to use it. Mm. Well, yeah. it's not just Jim. It's, it's, there are reasons well, not to use it. If you're not a gardener, I think it, it can be a, a real asset to you keeping weeds out of your bed. But you need to do what I've advocated for years is when you feel that need to remulch, get everything out. Get back down to that fabric put coarse stuff because if you allow that stuff to continue to decompose over the years you're just putting soil on top of it that weeds are going to come up in right so that's not going to help you right uh in fact just digging this week in in christy's yard someone i don't think christy maybe whoever owned the house before them had put down this cottony kind of fabric Mm. and it's down about two to three inches deep there's soil have washed in on it there's Mm -hmm. you know and so digging down in there and then you got to pull this stuff out and it's like angel hair yeah you know? yeah um you know and getting through that um so and I, I, if you're not a gardener i think it can be a, an advantage for you yeah if you're a gardener uh, there are limited issues now i'm going to use some all right here yeah. we go <laughs> i'm about to add a, a brand new bed over existing bermuda grass mm-hmm. okay the soil is going it's going to be an elevated bed yeah. it's going to have 10 to 12 inches of soil so I'm putting fabric down first, sure. mm-hmm. Absolutely. putting this on top it, yeah. to keep the Bermuda grass from coming through it. Right. Now, if you allow Bermuda grass encroach out on it, it will root in it. Yes. Yeah. But this is going to be under it and then pulled up in front of it so that it can't go through it. And rock are going to yeah. be there so that Smart. it help keep that out. Right. And so, do you notice that the soil is much richer and nicer on top of the landscape fabric versus underneath oh yeah i mean underneath <laughs> it's the clay that we yeah. have you and know? then on yeah. top of the fabric which is what we need to work with yeah yeah you know so, yeah, well, on top of the fabric it's all this great compost that's not working into yeah. our soil it's about no, creating a barrier the well, soil right. that i'm going to add into the bed is going to be perfect, the, yeah. the, the botanic garden mix that has clay in it right. so you know it's going to be totally elevated i'm going to plant some new dahlias in mm-hmm. that uh and and see how much difference i get between those and ones i've planted in more of our native soil gotcha so it's um you know I, the clay is important though i can't impress upon people enough how important clay is in your soil mm-hmm. also you know we were talking about mulch a while ago how it comes down to a matter of preference and you know every year it seems like people remulch their beds or they have someone do it for them one of the questions that always comes up is should they remove that old mulch lightly mm-hmm. just a lightly rake it out of there i'm not saying you dig it out but just lightly rake the it out of there before you put down new mulch and if if the answer is yes then why mm-hmm yeah, I am. of course, it depends on how thick the mulch is already. And then sometimes the mulch that you purchase, what's left over is like gray sticks. It seems like little long pieces. And um, if it's not, if your mulch isn't breaking down very mm-hmm. well, then you should rake that out. Because there again, what we're talking about, you don't want too heavy of a layer of mm-hmm. mulch in those beds. Yeah. So much of what I see, once it decays, it becomes very dry yeah. on top. Yeah. You know, it doesn't. Moisture goes right through it, or it's mm-hmm. so thick moisture won't go through it. Right. And so it's really not a healthy thing. You know, I see so many people who 
they'll go, get out there with their annuals and they'll dig back a little bit and it looks nice and black and they yeah. put an annual in there and it never grows, <laughs> right. you know? And it's because there's nothing in there to hold nutrients. And, yeah. you know, it's just, it's as I call it, mulch dust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. How so many I'm, times have we heard? Yeah. yeah. So I am a proponent of getting in there with that rake and raking a lot of that stuff out of there before I come back. Now and save put, it. Use it. Put it in your compost pile. And, and put new mulch yeah, in. Or use it to plant it. with. I mean, it's yeah. good organic matter. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, don't put it in a bag on the street. Reuse it somewhere. Right. Yeah, it's right. good stuff. Yeah, how many times have we heard people come in and can't understand why their flowers were not living, thriving, or even growing, and it was because they were planting it in the mulch. See it all because the time. Because the mulch was too deep, she said, and couldn't get to the soil. So what do you do? And I'm like, well, that, we got to start all over. <laughs> okay, to a break. Do a break. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. Welcome back, gardeners. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. You're listening to the Mighty 990. Yeah, Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening. You can tune in there, or you can always shoot us a text there. And like we said, if you miss all mm-hmm. that, you listen to the podcast, kwmradio.com, anytime you want. Boy, sitting down, looking at availabilities, trying to figure out what to order, because there's so many things to choose from, like, uh, say, for instance, 20 varieties of hellebores. Mm-hmm. Which ones do I pick? <laughs> Did you, yeah. Do you have a hellebores list yet? I Actually, I have a, yeah. a good one, but it's not updated. But, mm-hmm. you know, I finally decided, in fact, this week that I'm going to just start posting the list. Regardless yeah. if I've updated them or not. Yeah, yeah um, I think so. That yeah. will still help people. So many of them change. <clears throat> uh-huh. The last time I looked at at doing the echinacea was like two years after I created the list, and there were already a hundred more varieties. Mm-hmm. You know why? I know. Mm-hmm. Well, so. see, I'm actually my thoughts are looking at older material to get back to the bases mm-hmm. of what we know works really great, and then maybe come going <clears throat> off there a little bit to get a few different varieties. But there's so much <clears throat> that you forget what you used to know. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not just perennials. I mean, it's annuals, perennials, trees, shrubs, and ground covers. There's so many new introductions every year. Now, we see on some things where these new introductions are absolutely beautiful, and they're the best thing ever, honestly. Mm -hmm. But we also, from time to time, see where some of these new introductions are just a weaker version of what it came from. You know? Yeah, it is. It is. Or the new version looks just like the old version. Hardly enough difference to care about it. You know, this one is um, 12 inches, and this one is 15 inches. You ever compare trying to figure out which one of three things you want to get, and they're all so similar that <laughs> now it's more confusing? Well, but it, it is mind-boggling of the the sheer amount of material that's out there. Um, and, you know, like I said, I, some of the, the new introductions I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the new introductions, I mean, they're they're okay, but they're not, you know, the best thing in the world. That they're probably not as good as, you know, the original mother plant they came from. Yeah, there's, you know, like with hellebores, there's a new series, the wedding series, which yeah. is real good, which is, I posted a picture this week of... Um, uh, one called confetti cake that's one of those mm-hmm. and um, confetti cake yeah and it's beautiful in fact it was you know we had more people respond on it this week than any of the I other ones and one, yeah. um, i've got another one uh, called dark and handsome that's mm-hmm. real good mm-hmm. from that series and they're not on my list here i was just showing veda my list here but it's got the painted doubles it's got 
um, the winter thrillers. Um, there are lots of series like that. Now, you know, 10 years ago, we would get the Pine Knot series, the Royal Heritage series. Right. They were beautiful plants, but, but you didn't know what color they were because they were seedling Until grown. they bloomed. Until they bloomed, which was a real killer. Now we have all of them that are being re- reproduced, you know, and and we know exactly what they're going to look like. Yep. And so many of them are doubles. So there's a, there's there's been a good deal of improvement on hellebore. Well, in echinacea, you know, the coneflower that you were talking about a while ago, Jim, you know, used to there was just the old purple coneflower, yeah. which absolutely is great. Don't get me wrong. And now there's some really beautiful other colors out there, whether it's the whites and the orange and the red, you know, and on and on and on. But do you think or do we think uh, on something as simple as coneflower that the newer hybrids are just as foolhardy or, you know, foolproof and as hardy as the old-fashioned? I have considered almost all the new ones as what we call temp perennials, that you get a year out of them, they'll bloom their little hearts out, and then your chances of survival the second year are pretty slim. And and that's what I'm talking about. But just this week, we had someone post a picture of an orange one, and they said they've had for 12 years. There you go. Which, you know, I'm, I'm a little curious how they got it to live that long because mm-hmm. even the growers uh, have told me that they're difficult for them to grow in containers and keep them alive so it's um well there's yeah. always that one person that yeah, can do that always. but yeah. you know <laughs> yeah but there are some real good seedling series now like mm-hmm. the was it cherokee spirit yes which reseeds and you'll have different color flowers on the same mm. plant you know you'll have nice. yellows and oranges and 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 they come back true they don't come back purple so there's there are some good ones out there that um, that I think you know real good. One of my favorites is our native one, uh, Echinacea tennesseensis, which is a has a, a thinner petal. Yeah, uh, and it's a there's one called a smaller bloom. Jim. It's, it's a little smaller. Yeah, yeah. and there there is a cultivar called Rocky Top, which is r- probably the best of them. It's really pretty. So, well, I mean, it, but it made me think of just you know like perennials in general. Now, every year, there's going to be 30 new hostas that come out, right? I know. I just scrolled to hostas. From one company. Yeah, from one company, like you said. But that's one of those things where I think everything that comes out with a hosta Mm -hmm. is still going to be just as strong as the hosta parent that it came from. So some perennials, I have no problem. I don't care if they're, you know, if they're... If they came out today, I would buy mm-hmm. one. Yeah. But some of the other ones, the new hybrids, uh, and they come out every year, I just have to do a little research on them. Right. Yeah. We have to do that a lot more lately. Let's go to Mr. Paul calling from Bartlett. Good morning, Mr. Paul. Glad you give us a call today. Good morning, Zeta, Kenneth, and Jim. Hey, good morning to you, Mr. Hey, Paul. Mr. One of our old-fashioned dirt buddies on the phone right here. Mm-hmm. There you go. What's going on today, well, buddy? Well, I just like y'all, y'all piqued my interest with that conversation about uh, the hybrids. Mm-hmm. And see, I, I love those. I was at uh, one of the box stores last week, and they had probably 200 of one of these new hellebores mm-hmm. sitting there, and they were gorgeous. I'm telling you, a new gardener would say, they've heard us talk about hellebores, they'd Hey, well, I got to have one of them because uh, they're really pretty. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, a lot of them, it's just like Jim was saying, their they, they're seedlings or their new hybrids, and they're not like Owen Tallis. They're not going to be there year after year. And if they last a year in a container, 
you're really lucky. Mm. But they do that. It's a marketing trick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what bothers me is new gardeners get these brand new plants mm-hmm. and think it's going to be what we've always talked about. And they're really not. I mean, hosta's kind of different because most of mm-hmm. those seem to be pretty, yeah. pretty hardy. As I far know. As right. You almost can't go wrong right. with that. Yeah. But I agree with what you're saying, Mr. Paul. And even maybe in some cases, even some of the sedums, you know, that, that you've grown over the years. Uh, it just, exactly. you know, and I have no problem with new introductions coming out. Don't get me wrong. Oh, I don't, I don't either. But I'm with you. I think, you know, they, they'll keep hybridizing a certain plant to they hybridize it to death. And it just. That's you know, exactly right. And then, you know, it gets to a point where it's just, it's not near as strong as the, you know, the parent plants that it initially originally came from. Um, yep, it. It may be the girl you want to take to the dance, but it ain't the one that can make the cornbread. <laughs> <laughs> I hear where you're coming from. And, Paul, I also saw you uh, You had uh, checked in on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening, and I made a comment to Veda and Jim how it just seems like, and I love this, Paul, and I mean this with, with all my heart, it just seems like you're more engaged uh, now and. Uh, I love everything about that, buddy. Well, I I am I, I'm uh, um, my well. It's spring for one. Thing. Yes, I mean, it, yes. I know the south. The south is rising, so they say. <laughs> but I'm I'm better, and I appreciate y'all sticking with me because I went through a little period of time there that oh, was yeah. kind of kind of sad, you know. But, oh yeah. Uh, uh, anyway. I appreciate you taking note of that. Uh, see, we developed something we call Southern Select Sedum years ago, mm-hmm. and that was exactly for the reason of what y'all are talking about. We Basically, we recommended certain sedum that was good in the Mid-South, right? primarily for this area, and a lot of those really good-looking ones, and I get some of them every year because I love them, mm-hmm. but they will not tolerate our living conditions. And mm-hmm. it's like Jim always tells people, if you want to grow that, move to Pennsylvania <laughs> you know, or something. <laughs> move somewhere because you're not going to get it to do well here. And it's like we were talking on Facebook last week about moss. All right, we got to head out, Mr. Paul. Hang on one sec. We want to hear about the moss. We'll be right back after these messages for another two hours of gardening. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your host, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Welcome back, gardeners. Welcome to the second hour of Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all could be with us today. We want to go ahead and go back to Mr. Paul. Thank you, Mr. Paul, for holding. I think we were talking about moss. Well, yeah, there, there were several things on Facebook last week on the uh, Mid-South Garden thing about people that want a lawn of moss. Mm-hmm. And it is so difficult. I mean, we can do... All of those things we've heard, but moss is going to grow where it wants to grow. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to cultivate it in pots for 40 years, and it will not grow in pots if it don't want to be there. 
And then a lot of people, Paul, they'll go out and buy these different types of mosses and and plant them and think that that just because moss, you know, we know how hardy moss is, that it's going to grow perfectly well around here. And that's not the case either. But, you know, in our greenhouses, it grew great on top of landscape fabric. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And all pieces of shingles. shingles Yeah. But but we do... Mr. Paul, we do from time to time get people in, and they have a horrible moss problem, and they're just trying to figure out different ways to get rid of it. And then sometimes we'll have the discussion like, why are you fighting this battle? Because, you know, it's typically in a shaded environment. The soil is very compact. It usually stays fairly moist, Mm -hmm. uh, and nothing else is really growing there other than moss. And I'm like, well, I can show you and tell you how to get rid of it, not a problem. It, it probably will right. come back, but I'm saying, you know, in the eyes of the beholder, moss can be beautiful. It can. It's one of the oldest plant-type materials on the planet, and it has withstood the test of time. So leave it alone. Plant your containers around the moss mm-hmm. with your shade stuff and mm-hmm. put other things in there with it. You don't have to get rid of it. Well, and, and Mr. Paul, what yeah, what got true. us on this discussion, you know, we were talking about all these different hybrids that are on the market now and all these new introductions of all these different plants. Well, the same thing with moss. It's not they're basically new introductions. It's just that moss, well, you know, you can find moss in all 50 states. You can find it in every exactly. country in the world. But there again, right. the moss that does the best around here is the old-fashioned natural moss that you see growing in the woods. That's exactly right, and it that's where it was. I've seen some of our travels. I've brought it home from parks and places we've camped and stuff all over the country, you know, sneak a little, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. a little piece. At least you picked stuff that to... was lighter than a rock. <laughs> oh, yeah, and anything, and bring it home, and it don't want to be here. No. So I've just finally got to the point i'm still trying to grow it in flats and in pots and stuff but i mean it's like jim said it'll grow where you don't even want it to grow <laughs> but it won't grow necessarily it's just to show us how smart it is and that we don't know everything about gardening <laughs> well mr paul well said my man uh and then, like i said it's always good to hear your voice it's very soothing mr paul and we don't hear enough of it anymore so if we can ever do anything for you, buddy, you surely let us know. Well, I appreciate it, and y'all do a great job, and I appreciate Jim's practical advice that he gives to a lot of the people on the Facebook page, mm-hmm. because a lot of people, they want good, easy answers, and sometimes the answers are not real easy, but if you want to be a gardener, y'all pay attention to what he, he tells you, because he he knows this stuff, and he don't have an agenda, and he's not trying to sell anything. Right. That's exactly so right. He's, he's talking from experience, and this stuff that he will recommend works. Y'all do a great job, and thanks for being there. We love you guys. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> experience, early mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> but Jim's the Facebook page is Mid South Gardening Gardening in Zone Six Seven Eight. Yeah, and and we've been we're real pleased. We're about to cross. I think we're over ten thousand eight hundred members. We've had six hundred, I think, join in the last thirty days or so. It is amazing. But, um, we uh, I was just checking some of the insights on it. Out of our eleven, nearly eleven thousand uh, members in the last thirty days, eight thousand of them have actually 
going onto the site to either <laughs> look at it, read right. it, comment, post something. So we're I'm real pleased with that with the kind of participation that we're getting. And out we're of still it. almost you know winter time. You wait till yes. spring gets around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to blow up. So have y'all heard <clears throat> of the honeysuckle called peaches and cream? Oh yeah, that's been around a long time. I was wondering because I'm getting mm-hmm. that in stock just because the name. <clears throat> yeah. See how the name sells it? If it had just called been called coral blooms, yeah, no, but peaches and cream. I'm reading down the availability, and I said, ooh. Peaches and cream, Southern, yeah. And that's something how so, just the name sticks do you, out. Do you like that one, Jim? Because if you don't, I'll change it. Uh, yeah, we, <laughs> we carried some. I think we got them from maybe from Monrovia years yeah, ago. That's where, yeah, yeah. Um, and and they're pretty. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm still I'm like Kenneth. You know, I'm just sold on Major on Wheeler, Major Wheeler yeah. so mm-hmm. much. I, I, as far as long period of bloom, uh, I think it's just it's tough to beat. Yeah, yeah. We I were talking about that about, last weekend. Uh-huh, that it went, the, yeah, the Major Wheeler, but. Yeah, I mean, yep, I don't try those pitches and creams though. Yeah, and honeysuckle is one of those vines that's typically easy to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's almost like a hands-free type vine, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Especially once they get established, and this is not going to go crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, like your native honeysuckle will. Yeah, because a lot of people don't. No, they're familiar. The, the with one that. that that is crazy is not the native. It's the it's an invasive species. Okay, the native one is not too bad. Well, you're right. The <laughs> yeah. ones that you see growing wild mm-hmm. out there, the invasive series. And we, right. we had a question come up this week about how to treat vines with imidacloprid because there's really not a definite, there's not an instruction for vines. Um, so what you want to do is treat it just like you would a shrub. Basically, basically, it's a an ounce of active for a 10-foot plant. And so if it's only half of that, then it's a half ounce, and you unmix it in a couple of gallons of water and pour it around the base of it. So treat it just like it's a shrub. Really? And Jim, I thought on, well, I guess depending on the strength of the tree and shrub, well, insect drench, it's three ounces per foot of height. For vines that, that well, for shrubs. Three, but I need to look at that again. Yeah, that sounds a little high. I'll look the, at it. The grapevine rate, I know, is is if one ounce uh, or point one ounce for most things, uh, per foot of plant height. Mm-hmm. So it that's could interesting. Be. I need to yeah, check that. Yeah, and I will too. Yeah. yeah. But but you're right. I mean, using a insect drench, that, as you know, is an easy way to control a lot of insects. You just mix and pour. And the beauty of using a drench, let's say around crepe myrtles, for example, for scale, is you typically only do it one time per year. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a million sprays that you can go out there and use and spray your trees, shrubs, vines, whatever, but you usually have to do that more often. Yeah, let me let me say this, too, that the recommendation I gave was based on a commercial product, right. not, not home depending product. on the strength. That's right. Right. Yeah. My peaches and cream. Oh, yeah. Peaches and cream. And uh, what else is different that I'm going to get? Oh, the Ligularia Midnight Lady. Ligularia. Midnight Lady. And that's lady. like the old I leopard I can grow plant. that in containers, but I'll be danged if I can grow it in the ground. <laughs> yeah. It's I've beautiful. only seen it a few places in the ground, and I've seen it close to trees, mm-hmm. where I guess it's, it's, and really close to large trees, where I guess it's kind of high and dry. Yeah. One of the, one of the, Springs at the spring plant, um, the spring fling. I brought several beautiful varieties of Ligularia and Forfugium, and uh, Danny Turley was there, and he said, "I can't grow that. I'm gonna let you do it." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and that's just one of those perennials that typically mm-hmm. grow in high shade, but like yeah. you said, well drained soil. Now, is that the same 
thing as the spotted leopard plant? I mean, is it in that mm-hmm. family? Yeah, well, it is in the family. Yeah, but it is yeah. a true ligularia, okay, mm-hmm. whereas for the other one is a farfugium. Yeah. So yeah. They're, it, it, they're, that's, but that's they're closely what, related. Yeah, people mm-hmm. get confused about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. We planted some in front of the uh, nursery, well, not in front of nursery, in front of interiors, and uh, this fall. And, um, you know, of course, they turn black with the weather that we've had, but they're not mushy black. They're still nice and healthy underneath. So you'll cut all so, that black yeah. off of there and let them just come back from right, the root. Right, right. Yeah, we'll see how that works. This one isn't the midnight one, though. I can't remember exactly which one it is, but I just love the lily pad looking yeah. foliage on it. It's, it just looks like fairy tale. And like I said, lily pad looking foliage because it is fairly large mm-hmm. foliage on there. And then I mentioned the leopard plant. It's the same big green foliage yeah. leaf, but it has those yellow dots like a leopard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in and there. I've, I've seen the green leaf <laughs> and retur- referred to as tractor seat plant. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I have too. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. That's a definitely. I have I have both of those, and I have I have one that seat. has a crispy yeah, edge to it. It's uh-huh. real pretty, very very highly ruffled. Uh, Are those in the ground? Those? In, yeah, they've all been in the ground. Yeah, in fact, I, I moved the crinkledy one this week, mm-hmm. and I'm going to move the other ones uh, sometime. And you know, it's funny, you know, when you get older, I don't know, <laughs> there's a lot of things I can blame, but it's taken me four days to do a day's work. Yeah, you know? right, right. <laughs> so, and Carol's been helping. <laughs> I know, right? I'm experiencing that. All right, do a break and uh, just get your questions together. Give us a call, 260-5926. You're listening to The Mighty 990. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to the Mid-South Gardening. So you'll probably see these memes and stuff, but I've always liked this one. What is it that you were taught in school mm-hmm. that is totally irrelevant now? And it was that you won't have a calculator with you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true Remember that? that? Because math was not my thing, and I always heard, well, you're not, it's not like, don't use a calculator, use your head. It's not like you're going to have a calculator Everywhere you That's go. That's true. And I'm like, nope, now I do. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know, it tickles me when the grandkids are around, you know, and somebody else say, how much is this, thumbs this? And I'll just spit it out off the yeah. top of my head, you know, and they'll go, how do you do that? Yeah. Because yeah. you've done it in the past. Instead yeah. <laughs> of pushing I buttons. I never had a calculator. In fact, I'm not sure they even invented <laughs> right, calculators. Right, right. <laughs> well, it's like I've been reading things on my phone so much that when I was reading a book, I was actually put, trying to enlarge... You know how you can enlarge your screen? Mm-hmm. I was trying to enlarge a photo on the book. Because it, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I'm, it's just, it's like, well, this doesn't work either. <clears throat> but speaking natives, I, speaking natives, I have um, found out from like the native, one of native Cal- Carolina native nursery that they're seeing an increase of um, people buying native plants now. It's like one person in every Four people. Yeah, 400. Yeah, I knew that was coming. <laughs> one in every four people's buying a native plants, but maybe it's just one native plant, you know, and that um, the people that are decreasing their lawns and creating more landscape areas and gyms in this percentage has increased 19% since 2021. Mm. Well, you actually started that before 2021, yes. though. Yeah. But also, I think the... The native thing is increasing more because I think the um, growers are doing a good job with uh, growing natives to look more desirable in the garden center 
because sometimes they don't look so great in a container, but then when you get them out on <clears> the ground, <throat> they're gorgeous, but that's hard for new gardeners to trust that. Well, yeah. Go ahead. One of the attributes of, of course, natives is they're tough as everything. They're native, you know, to the, our, our region. So, you know, it's almost like get them planted and hands off, right? Yeah. But uh, then you made the comment that, you know, one in four people are buying more natives. I wonder if they're buying it on purpose or does it just happen to be a native Ooh, that they're buying? that's a good point because well, of the... Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of it, too, is there's just so much writing now about try to go native, you mm-hmm. know. Garden yeah. writers who are not usually gardeners are yeah. writing nice articles about how to... Gr- how you should use natives to support your local pollinators right. and mm-hmm. they tie, tie all this stuff together as if your little you know one quarter acre is going to make mm-hmm. a difference in in how the monarch population yeah. survives yeah. or not right. yeah gotcha um, you know so, so it's one in every so if you've got a neighborhood <clears throat> and one person one family out of four families do natives but but see, it's not gonna be that high yeah yeah and then there's um yeah. And that was the I'm thing, thinking, Beta. Right. Yeah. If everybody just keeps working on it, we'll eventually evolve to that. It's not going to happen in a month. You know, it's going to take a, a long time to evolve to having more natives in each yard. Well, but know. when it comes to plants, people are going to buy what they like. Okay? Absolutely. And whether it's native or whether it's exotic or whether it's, you know, brought in from a, uh, you know, a different country. A different state. People are going to buy what they like. Now, the beauty of natives, like you said, Veda, is, you know, they are beneficial to a lot of the pollinators out there, and they're usually very hardy. Case to point, even when they were doing the trails at, you know, Wolf River Bottoms, Mm -hmm. you know, they were creating all these bike trails and and hiking and running trails. Well, at, at all the intersections, they had these beds, and in those beds were nothing but natives. Well, they did that on purpose. Yeah. You know, there's a point of it when you're doing trails. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's my point, Jim. Mm -hmm. There's no point in putting an exotic down there that's going to escape and cover everything. Well, or Or something that's not going to actually live, you know, past the week they put it in the ground. Mm -hmm. So there are definitely, definitely places for natives. And, and, you know, to me, there's some beautiful native plants Mm -hmm. out there. But you have to start learning a different landscaping strategy, too, when you're using natives. You, um, because it can look real cluttery or <clears throat> like a mess. It can, it can even look like a mess. I've seen some landscapes with natives look like messes, and then I've seen native landscapes that look really good. Yeah, I but, like them blended But I still together. don't think native is a bad word. You no, know, it's, a lot of, it's not a bad word. You <clears throat> know, right. But also remember, pollinators will feed on, on, on exotics also. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. there's no reason to not plant them just because you're trying to support pollinators. I agree. Yeah. All right, let's go to Kelsey calling from Memphis. Thanks for the call. Hey, Kelsey. Yeah. Hey, good morning to you. Good morning. Hey, Kelsey, how are you? What's going on today? I'm good. Um, And I've been out in the yard because of the weather. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm getting ready to plant a dogwood tree, like a five-gallon size. And my landscaper has dug the hole for me, but didn't leave any of the soil <clears throat> from the hole. Mm-hmm. And so um, I need to backfill with something. And I thought, well, I don't really want to just put, you know, amended stuff in there. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking um, like topsoil mixed right. with some kind of pro mix or what should I use? 
Well, you you Don't still even bring it back. Yeah, <laughs> you still definitely need some of your native soil, yeah. and, and yeah. we and we see that happen all the time, Kelsey. Where people will dig a hole to plant a tree or a shrub, and in your case, a dogwood, and they will refill that hole with all different soil other mm-hmm. than any native well, soil. How how yeah. is your hole dug? Does it look like a can <laughs> round, or do they have it kind of in a More flare? Like a it's not a bowl. It's uh, it's can shaped. Well, there's there's where you can straight. get the rest of your soil. Yeah, is because it needs go to dig, be go dig you a new hole. Right, Use that full <laughs> half of that to fill your other yeah. one. Yeah, so like when you're trying to instead of making it a can, it needs to be more of a bowl. So you're going to have to take off more soil to make that into a bowl so you can use that soil mixed with yeah. your compost and that'll get your clay back in but now you have to dig more hole and you already paid somebody to dig it yeah and usually kelsey you know dogwoods and you know this probably as well as anybody they better have good drainage that's the one thing that they would not tolerate is wet feet and that's mm-hmm. why we always say like veda was just talking about you dig the hole just as deep as the root ball but typically twice as wide okay right and right. you definitely want to amend that soil, but you don't want to replace the soil. So right. you you got to have some of that native clay in there. Now, adding things like topsoil, soil conditioner, compost, or even garden soil, any of those and all of those are perfectly fine to work into your native soil. And then what if it's too deep? Because we do plant them just a little high. Absolutely. For the drainage. Yeah. In yeah. fact, with dogwoods, I usually don't dig, but about half as deep as a yeah, container. Because you do want to plant them above grade. Because they're, they're shallow rooted. Usually yeah. I can remove a third or so of the soil off the bottom of it, okay? Yeah. Because the roots have already started to circle at the top if it's in a five-gallon pot. And then yeah. set it down on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you, if you've got a place in the back of your yard where you can go yeah. to go steal some along the fence row mm-hmm. or something, I would do that. And I I wouldn't use more than about thirty percent new stuff. I'd use seventy mm-hmm. percent or so clay. Loosen it. That's that's the critical part. Loosening it really well, but and having it three inches or so above your ground level just look like it's planted on a little hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then the yeah, last the hole may not be deep enough, so you know. Well, that's good. With what you yeah. just said, it may be. It may be. I haven't compared the pot to the hole yet. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we don't want it to be very deep. It's okay right. if it's yeah. So there's where you might can get some extra soil. Now, if the soil's too deep, if the hole's too deep, then the soil that you scrape off the sides to make the hole bigger, then therefore goes down in the bottom mm-hmm. to bring it back up. Yeah. So, yeah, but good drainage yeah. is, I mean, that's the key with any dogwood, Kelsey. And then yeah. this summer when it gets really hot and dry, and it will, and you got to keep this thing hydrated, you make sure that you water deeply but infrequently. Don't keep it too wet. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, okay. Okay, well, I'll just... Actually, have a sprinkler system, so yeah, that won't be enough. Control that. Well, and like yeah. Jim said, even with the irrigation, when it gets really hot and dry, you still go out there about two times a week and soak that thing. You've got to get that good deep watering, or at least once a week to soak it, even if you yeah. have irrigation. Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking about how am I going to keep it watered till the sprinkler system comes back on. Uh, uh, that's not going to be a problem between now and then. You know, right? Yeah, because so. like. Normally, we would hopefully still have cloudy days, rainy days. It's going to rain enough in between that you don't have to do so much supplemental watering. Right. So it's not going to be as difficult. Right. Hopefully, it's not going to be as difficult now as my you know later. But this is definitely the best time. Amend that soil and plant that thing high, though. Okay. Okay. Got it. All right. 
I'll do it. Thank you. All right, Kelsey. Thanks for the Good call. to hear from you, Good Kelsey. Day. See? She listens because she's like, uh, wait, he took my soil. <laughs> I we, need my soil back. They did, We see that. People dig that hole and they take all that native soil mm-hmm. out of there and replace it with all, you know, different yeah. types of soils. And that's just not the way you want to plant any tree and shrub around here. Dogwoods, cherry trees. Any, any tree or shrub, really. Yeah. You want to use some of that native soil back in there. Like Jim mm-hmm. said, up to 60 to 70, yeah. 70% of native soil. That's right. Right. People used to do 50-50. I mean, maybe depending on your compost and how bad the soil was, 50-50 could be okay. But trees, I mean, like arborists, and, and of course they're not planting dogwoods everywhere, but they don't hardly use any compost a mm-hmm. lot of times. Okay. To a break. Give us a call. 901-260-5926. And I appreciate the callers we've had this morning. Thank you. And we'll be right back. Welcome back, gardeners. Glad you could join us with us this morning. We've had a lot of good calls, 901-260-5926. Yep, and if you want to shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening, like Miss Mary Calvary did, she said, is it too early to use post-emergent? And the short answer to that, Mary, is absolutely not. Um, but it depends. I mean, for example, there is a product out there called Fertilone Weed-Free Zone, very similar to the Weed Beater Ultra that Bonite has out. Mm-hmm. But Fertilone Weed-Free Zone uh, <laughs> is a broadleaf weed killer. It only has to be above 45 degrees to work. Um, so, and no rain for 24 hours, of course. But notice I said it's a broadleaf weed killer. It kills broadleaf weeds and broadleaf weeds only. And that's any weed that has a leaf. And it's not, not, not for use in your flower bed. No, strictly for the lawn, but it's not going to kill anything that looks like a grass, like poana, for example, that's also growing. So, Mary, if you've got broadleaf weeds like clover, dandelions, chickweed, henbit, those kind of things growing in your lawn, Weed-Free Zone will absolutely do a great job, even in cooler temperatures, than some of the old technology that used to be out there, Jim, like Trimac. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, ma'am, it is not too early to use a post-emergent, but you need to know what kind of weeds you're trying to kill, because that's going to dictate what herbicide you need to use. Now, there are some herbicides, like Image, for example, that will kill a lot of broadleaf weeds, and it will also kill Poana, but you don't want to use Image during the dormant season. And you don't even want to use image when the grass is greening up during the transition period. So it, it all depends on what type of weed, Mary, you're trying to kill. Um, that will, like I said, dictate what herbicide you need to use. Right, Jim? Right, Veda? <laughs> <laughs> sure. We just left you out there. Just but, left you out there. But it does make a difference, though. Right, right. And um, now that we're getting warm, I am seeing the weeds popping up everywhere so I guess we need to deal with that. Today's a good day to deal with that. Hey, which, what happened to the rain? Did y'all get, I got some. Almost none. But Almost none. I had to water. I, I was waiting not to have to water yeah, in the same. stuff I transplanted and mm-hmm. I had to get up and water yesterday morning. It was morning. just everything. Like I was, <clears throat> I was saying, don't spray any weed killer y'all because it's supposed to rain. And, oh, don't worry about watering. We're all good. It's supposed to rain. So that's why it didn't rain. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you you feel more confident in the winter seasons that it's really going to rain because it usually does in the summer when they say it's going to rain. You don't ever count on that. Well, but also but, if you miss a rain this time of year, it's usually cooler, cooler at yeah. night. You know, <laughs> right. so you don't have the evaporation that yeah. we do in the summertime. So it's not, to me, so detrimental. Uh-huh. 
But also, let me say this about Mary. She said, talking about using a post-emergent, which we just went over. It's also a really good time to get your pre-emergence down. And that's usually a granulated product. You know, the one that we carry is called Dimension, weed and grass stopper containing Dimension. Uh, You buy it in a bag, you put it out with a spreader, you water it in, and it does a really good job in keeping most weed seeds from ever coming up. And if you use those pre-emergents like every three months during the growing season, or really every three months year-round, you will be amazed how few weeds you actually will have that you don't have to go out there and spray to kill. So keep that in also in mind, Miss Mary. Well, so what? Pruning sealers. Oh, yes. pruning sealers. I got this text on my phone the other day, and I don't know where it came. It was Apple something, and the, it caught my eye because it said, new scientific evidence that pruning sealer may be not detrimental to trees, mm-hmm. or it might be Maybe. beneficial to trees. Yeah. And I, so I tried to click on it, and they wouldn't let me open that page. And I'm thinking, whoops. Probably a good thing because yeah. I don't believe a word of right. it. If you start reading about pruning sealers, and Jim's gone over this before with his, you know, garden myths, you know, right. and that's just probably one of them. But you know, my question was pruning sealer, which is usually a, you buy in a can, you seal up a wound after you make a cut, right? Good or bad? Uh, and I had a customer said that they had actually used pruning sealer. After they cut back their crepe myrtle last week. Oh, well, everything's wrong with that. (laughs) (laughs) Even cutting the crepe myrtle back. Did they prune it up or did they cut it back? Well, So that's already bad. Let me read this to you. And and the answer is no. You should not generally use pruning sealers after pruning your trees. The main exception is when trees like elms or oaks, which are susceptible to vascular wilts, such as Dutch Mm -hmm. elm disease, and oak wilt, have been pruned during the growing season for safety reasons only, right? Right. So a lot of times they'll go out there and have to prune some elms and some Mm -hmm. oaks because you got a limb that's going to fall on a house or whatever. So there's saps flowing. It's not the best time to be pruning. But they said in these cases, Mm -hmm. painting the wounds with latex-based paint will allow the wounds to seal properly. And well, I'm, I, well, remember, you know, there's that uh, tree goop, that soft phosphate, soft rock phosphate, diatomaceous earth, which and is manure, no longer around anymore. Which is a paste, but you can yeah, make you your have own. to make your own. And you know, you can put that on wounds, and it can absorb it and help heal that way. That would be much better than the pruning paint. But they they heal on their own, really, if we don't cut them wrong. My point, yeah. you know, so. To me, unless you have an elm, Dutch, I mean, because of Dutch elm disease, or an oak because of oak wilt, and they have to prune it during the growing season, they're, not, they're even saying then use latex-based paint. Hmm. So, Jim, your thoughts on pruning sealer as far as using it overall when you make these big cuts or even small cuts. Like I told you, I had a gentleman use some on a crepe myrtle that he cut back last week. Mm-hmm. Clearly didn't have to do that. Yeah, I don't think it's ever a good thing. The only thing I've seen pruning sealer good for is if you've got a clay pot and you want to seal the inside of it, <laughs> just spray it inside there, and it does a good job. You know, it help, will help give you some winter protection because <laughs> water doesn't go through there. Um, but uh, I, I'm opposed to spraying anything, latex paint or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, it, it, the, if you're thinking that it's going to stop Dutch elm disease, well, they're getting that from a bark beetle. <laughs> right. Uh, you know? Well, and, and they said and it would help prevent that beetle from getting into that, that horse, feathers, yeah. horse feather. Horse yeah. feather. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I think. Yeah. I, and that's, 
And that's what kind of threw me when I read latex paint. I'm like, hang on, now we're going to latex well, paint? Well, I mean, if you used latex paint, you would want it to be white. Okay. Yeah. One of the issues with any kind of black paint put on there is the heat buildup. Then you get those cells dying and fermenting beneath it, which, you know, and as, as Bud Cartwright used to tell me, he believed that when those cells start dying and fermenting, they kill the cell under it, which right. then ferments, mm-hmm. which kills it down further. Yeah. Right. Uh, which, you know, and I've never seen any science behind that, but I believe it to be yeah. true. Right. I agree with and you. And then yeah. also they say, you know, that people, and you used to see this used extensively. Even in the oh, arborist well. community, oh, you okay? You have to have cases of it in oh, yeah. stock. We yeah. have stack, stacks of it by the door. <laughs> right. right. But, but also, you'd see these you know, these big you know, cuts on these oak trees, especially, mm-hmm. uh, and seal back up with a sealer. And I, and I get the thought behind it. Don't get me wrong. But they say, also, you can seal in moisture. Mm-hmm. And that kind of goes to what Jim was just talking about. That's one thing that you don't want. You want these things to dry out. You definitely want them to callous over naturally. And that's what they will do. Those cells, they a tree knows how to protect itself when there's a wound on that tree. Right. It just if it's healthy and all, it's just going to naturally heal over unless we cut the limb straight, parallel, even mm-hmm. with the trunk. And we see that yeah. from time to time. And then you have to when you make the cut, you want the cut at an angle where the water will run off. Right. The cut. Yeah, so, um, and they'll just, he'll, they'll call her over naturally. So that's two things this morning that I scratch my head from time to time. And there are places, you know, in in uses, but not as much as we probably think. And that's the landscape fabric Mm -hmm. and that's the the pruning sealer. right, right. And you do see less of that. So in the environmental range of things, um, you know, I've always said that everything that's evasive, it's got to have some benefit, some kind of way. You know, because there's so much of it, surely it can be good used for something. But in Australia, they they have the patty melon that takes over everything. Patty melon? Patty melon. It just takes over everything like our katsu does. But the seed in the patty melon has a certain um, enzyme that's capable of uh, bonding carbonate ions with calcium ions. And it works down into the soil and it creates a stabilizer for the soil and um, that causes or so now they're thinking of cultivating and controlling this evasive weed so less damages with livestock less damages of taking over property and property because now that they're trying to cultivate it it'll be taken care of and kept in its own spaces so it's creating a good economic impact and also environmental impact of not having to deal with so much of the weed issues. And they're also discovering that that if uh, you can spray it like around trees or on the soil and it keeps weeds from coming up for a while, but then it breaks down into the soil too and helps it become a soil stabilizer. So they found something that's invasive and figured out ways to be able to use it, just like with the coffee grounds. There's so many ways to use coffee grounds, but they're finding out that you can use it with cement and it becomes a, a better stabilizer and makes the cement stronger. All right, but let's just say, take the invasive weeds, for example. Mm-hmm. And we've got plenty invasive weeds even here in the Mid-South. But trying to use that theory and that thinking, which kudzu for example jumps out yeah. i mean they everybody had the right intentions when they first started planting kudzu for erosion you saw it mm-hmm. in the banks of creeks and rivers and it did a great job until it got away from yeah. everybody um so you know 
I'm sure people have tried already mm-hmm. to find ways to use, uh-huh. you know, uh, invasive plants to our benefit mm-hmm. in, instead of to our detriment. But I think that's easier said than done. Yeah. Well, at least so far, I know of two things that they've done, and that's the yeah. coffee grounds and the patty melon. Now, katsu, katsu's of um, an herb. Actually, yeah. you can take that, but I don't think anyone's really doing a lot of control of it in the Mid-South because yeah. Katsu's still taking over. Weeds, general weeds, now we just eat them. Yeah, you can, <laughs> you can make pesto out of chickweed. Yeah. It ain't very good, but you can do it. <laughs> My hamburgers aren't very good either, but it all depends on the cook. we got to go to a break. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners. That's the sound what your vine makes when it's growing up the oh, side of the yeah. wall. <laughs> Sometimes too too much of a good thing can be a bad thing, right? right yeah, Especially when it comes to vines. Now we're talking about vines. Uh, if you want to give us a call this morning, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926, or you can shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening. And Veda was talking about, you know, trying, especially when you have something that's completely invasive. And usually mm-hmm. those are some you know, exotic plants that we bring in for the right reasons, and then they turn out not to be really a good idea, right? Right. But using those and figuring out ways to use them as a benefit. Well, shoot, tumbleweed's a pain in the butt, too. But I see people take it and make uh, artist creations out of them that actually look pretty good and then sell them for a good amount of money. It's just all in the imagination. And we're talking about old-fashioned tumbleweed, yeah, you know. Yeah, I've seen some some really unique art pieces made out of and it. And then the one thing that always comes to my mind is the chameleon plant, or what is it, hutentinia. Yeah, hutentinia. Uh, and that stuff, I'm telling you, I absolutely love the way it looks. The foliage mm-hmm. is beautiful, and it forms a mat. I know when I was ordering water garden plants, I saw that on there, and I'm like, oh, I want to get it so bad, but I didn't. But if it ever, ever gets away from you, you are struggling for the rest of your life. I didn't want to be responsible for people's having that issue. And the only time that I've ever seen it to where it didn't escape was this gentleman had a circular driveway, and in the center of the driveway was the bed that was raised, okay? And it had a Japanese maple in that raised bed and nothing but this uh, this chameleon plant around it as a ground cover. And it looked strikingly great, I'm telling you. But it couldn't get away because it was border. I say it couldn't. We yeah, not. Like, go back and look now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Jim. But at that, at that time... Uh, it had that driveway all the way around it, uh-huh. so it you know it was it had a a border a a, a you know a barrier between mm-hmm. it and you know the rest of his yard. But some things you just have to be careful with. Virginia creeper. Some people love the way it looks. It's a native vine. Mm-hmm. They let that thing grow. The next thing you know, it's taken over the house. So. Yeah. Be careful with some of these vines. Yeah, I mean, gardening is a daily task, practically, unless you have a sterile holly garden, and you don't ever worry about how big it gets. Okay. (laughs) Let's go to Linda calling from Cordova. Good morning, Linda. You're in the garden. Thank you. I have a question about Nandina. Yeah. I have a a, uh, bed just real close to my front door, so I want low plants. Yeah. I've seen... Blush pink Nandina in a uh, um, in a magazine, and I like it really well. Do you do we carry it here in the mid south, mm-hmm. and do you have good luck with it? Yes, and yes, yes, and it doesn't seed, so it's a really pretty one. You know, 
You know, I'm glad you brought that up, Linda, because most people, when they heard when they hear the word Nandina, if I ever bring it up to a customer, they want to slap me because they're thinking about the old-fashioned Nandinas that we all grew up with. You know, they get yeah. six foot tall, eight foot wide, and they just take over. And that was old-fashioned Nandina Domestica. Well, in the meantime, yeah. they've come out with some beautiful hybrid Nandinas, like, you know, Blush Pink, like you just mentioned, and then Flirt, mm-hmm. F-L-I-R-T, an obsession, and some of that's just a name of few of these new hybrid Nandinas that they've come out with, and they look great, and they're tough as everything. Just what I wanted to hear. So when will be garden? Uh, when will y'all be getting some in at different garden? Uh, stores? I mean, typically in Memphis, you know, we this time of year the weather's still so up and down, but usually within two or three mm-hmm. weeks from now. I mean, it's, you're you're good to go. All right. That sounds great. Now, does it stay low to the ground like this information says? Mm-hmm. Yes, it, yes does. it does. All right. Thank you. Just what I wanted to hear. You right, got exactly. It. Good <laughs> yeah. call. Thank you. Appreciate the show. It's great. Thanks, Thanks, Linda. Thanks. Thank you, dear. Have a great weekend. But So what would you say the environment should be for those? I see... The best Nandinas I ever see are the natives. You can plant it in then, the crack of a sidewalk. But then I see so many that look kind of thin, and they're not as fluffy, and the color doesn't show up as much. I mean, can we have them in full sun, mm-hmm. just open, wide open, or do they need a little rest in between, like a little shade here and there? No, in fact, Veda, the more sun they get, the more brilliant that foliage mm-hmm. is going to be. Uh, especially in the fall right. when it starts to cool off a little bit. Right. Uh, but they're just, that's the thing with Nandinas. They're just foolproof. They're yeah. so tough, and, but they do need decent drainage. They don't like to stay wet. Yeah. And one of the things people forget about with these new hybrids is they still need pruning. You need mm-hmm. to go in there every year, take out a third or so of those oldest, biggest canes. Yeah. You see around so many of the old firepower that just mm-hmm. look terrible. Yeah. yeah. Look, they got stalks about 12 inches high and yep. a clump of foliage that's three feet on top of that. <laughs> right. And it's right. all because they've never been pruned. Uh-huh. So, it, you know, it's uh, they're not just a, an absolute no-maintenance plant. You mm-hmm. still have to do a little pruning to them. But, I mean, it's a once-a-year deal, and, yeah. and it will... You'll get your best color on that yeah. new growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's just that's will make true. them keep make them look better longer. Yes, that, that that's probably the issue. No matter which ones they are, there was a an area that had the most beautiful dwarf nandinas growing. It, it wasn't your typical nana nandina. It wasn't that. It the, wasn't the blush. But it was one of the newer ones, and it grew very well, but too big for the space. So we pruned it, and it looked quote-unquote, to the customer butchered. And it was looking butchered. And I said, I can promise you. Give it a minute. And Yeah, in two weeks at least, it's going to be flushing and looking gorgeous. And she goes, well, you know, if it doesn't. I was like, oh, yeah, I know. And it came back just as beautiful as could be. But we did prune. For those, the little dwarf ones, you can prune them down or you can prune some canes out. But the tall ones... It's taking the canes out only, right? Yeah, yeah and, and sometimes if you're trying to thicken it up some, I'll take mm-hmm. some of the canes temporarily out halfway, yeah, you know, to get you. a little yeah. growth there until that new growth from the ones you uh-huh. take down low can come up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, Nandina's just, they have to be pruned. They just really mm-hmm. do. And I tell you what, and I'll get off Nandina's, but a lot of people also use them in containers, especially yeah. some of these newer varieties like we were just talking mm-hmm. about, uh, because that's just how tough these things are. 
and it really fits the bill, and they'll grow in full sun. They'll grow in very low amounts of, of sunlight. I do like more sun than shade, and like I said, I think you get much better color if they do get more sun. But I've seen some beautiful Nandinas also grown in containers. And then lastly, you know, it doesn't have to be the green or the reddish tint. There's also the new... Like lemon lime. Yeah, Thank exactly. you, Jim. Beautiful one. Yep, that you can get into those type that. of colors also. Mm-hmm. So something as just as a lot of people, as ugly as Nandina can be, uh, these new hybrids they've come out with, and we talked about some hybrids already mm-hmm. this morning, to me that is really a plus plus. Yeah, yeah, because you could literally just take a pair of hedgers and just cut the, the dwarf ones in half, and they could still flush out really good. Yeah, because when, when we did the, um, when I had that period of time working creative gardening in uh, yards where it was more than go, mow, and blow, yeah. but we did. We pruned a lot of Nandinas, and they flushed out, um, especially the large ones. I, I liked pruning the large ones because I felt like it was an art because you're taking the older canes out, and sometimes you have to prune some of the tops, but... It was nice to be able to get it just full instead of a bunch of tall canes with a little fluffy, like the leatherleaf mahonia. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think those need to be oh, pruned yeah. down. That's another one that needs to be pruned regularly. Yeah, because yeah, it's gorgeous. I think plant. what they've done with mahonia hollies also, they've come out with these new hybrids like you know soft caress, mm-hmm. for example, that mm-hmm. has a much finer foliage on it. And it doesn't look anything like a Mahonia Holly, even though it is, but it's absolutely beautiful. And that one that you mentioned has the biggest, beautiful blueberries on it right now. Not edible blueberries, just blueberries. We'll be right back. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. Powered by Palladio Home and Garden. With your host, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda with Palladio. Yeah, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And oh, to, hi. To my <laughs> Wake I'm up. I'm, I'm Jim Crowder. I am a retired nurseman, and if in case you don't know who I am, uh, and administrator of our Facebook group, Mid South Gardening, Gardening in USA Zone Six, Seven, and Eight. And Jim, what gave you that idea? I mean, was it just the the starving no when need I, for information? <laughs> really? Well, actually, right. Diane Mucci had a, a lot to do with it because when I retired, she said, "What are we going to do? You've got so much knowledge that we don't have anymore, so we need to share that." Yeah, and so I had I had never been on Facebook. Yeah. And at that time, I was had some birds, and I was trying to buy some birds from a lady in Ohio. And the only way she would respond was through Facebook. So done. I created my Facebook group in uh, 2018 or something. Uh, I mean, my Facebook account in 2018. And I sent her a message, which she never responded to. So um, <laughs> I had it for six months or so. Hadn't did nothing. I didn't look at Facebook because I wasn't interested in it. And then suddenly I thought, you know, I've got this opportunity. Why don't I just go ahead and start a Facebook group? Uh, and I named it Mid-South Gardening, uh, and just to put some stuff out there that, because I had all this stuff in my head mm-hmm. and I've got, as you've seen, these pages and pages yeah. and pages of, of information about plants and stuff that I've written through the years. And so basically a book. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought, well, <clears throat> I'll just put some of this out there and we'll see what happens. And so I started, I invited 10 people to join me, um, <laughs> It yeah, started with ten people. Yeah, and uh, and then we, you know, it just kind of grew, and now we're at um, this is this is be six years this spring. Well, it's really remarkable. Yeah. I'm telling you, it truly is. And like I said, you you know, you 
kidnap my phone. Every time I cut it on, I see nothing but posts about Mid-South Gardening. And I have to look at them, and they're all great. Because people have wonderful pictures. They have great questions Mm -hmm. and the answers, you know. And then, you know, that's the beauty of it also. So many people would chime in with an answer. That's right. Um, This is all, our group is all about actual experience. Right. There are lots of gardening groups out there, you know, where if you'll ask a question, somebody will go and find a site uh, from a college, and they'll post a Mm -hmm. link for you. And that's not what our group is about. I mean, yeah. go ahead and be part of one of those. I don't, yeah. I don't but our group is a- about actual experience. And so, therefore, I don't allow links, you know, and people get mad because they'll post one and I'll take it out. But they that's a rule. If they read the rule, they said they read the rule when they joined. <laughs> that's part of it. The deal. You know, that's part of the deal. Or somebody you know? called you a dictator. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I'm like. The aggravated one yesterday or, uh, or the day before because, uh, yeah. she, because po- well, she just posted something that was out of the blue that had nothing to do with gardening. Yeah. So you said, please take that off. Yeah. I asked her to take it off and she got mad and well, come, but, said, I, 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 well, when she said I'm a dictator. And I, like I say, I. I uh, that's probably true well, because it's my group. You're it's dictating. my. I wrote the rules yeah. and I enforce them. Right. So, yeah. Well, you're you're dictating. Um, but I'm I'm a knowledge. Right, and I'm I'm, I'm a um, compassionate dictator. Yeah, yes. that's it. Oh, I like that. There yeah. we go. And, but I do love. That and then she said I had the um, the personality of a drill sergeant, which I took as a compliment. <laughs> also. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. She's just feeding him, I'm telling you. <laughs> and finally, at the end, she said, thank you very much. And I said, well, you're welcome. See, yeah. <laughs> but it is it is really a neat Facebook page, Jim. And, and it grows more and more every every week, like you said. We mentioned the uh, you know garden centers, Veda, you and I, uh, at Dan West and at Palladios. We'll start getting in things that bloom early in the season. We talked about some of these last weekend, Jim, like the quince. Yeah. You know, we got some blooming quince in yesterday. We got these beautiful blooming edgeworthia that I want to mm-hmm. mention. Um uh, some, uh, you know, some, of course, some forsythias, uh, you know, so just maybe this spring will be one of those where cold weather, late cold spell doesn't come in and just kind of wreck, Everything, you know, all the yeah. beautiful things that bloom early in the year. I mean, when's the last time we had a great, complete blooming season on some of the magnolias, the early blooming mm-hmm. magnolias? I saw a star magnolia blooming yesterday yeah. that wasn't blooming yesterday morning. Mm-hmm. And then the, you know, the, the tulip magnolias, the, you know, the Salangianas, a lot, a lot of times they're in full bloom and we get these hard frost and it just kills that right. bloom. But, hey, maybe this could be the perfect spring. I'm going to get in the, the yellow magnolia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's sensation, I think, is the sensation is the name of it. It's supposed to be a, a deeper yellow. Yeah, we had one that was called butterfly and it, it, mm-hmm. it is yellow, but it's not a deep, deep a yellow. Cream yellow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so this one's. Should be yellower, more yellower. yellower. But if you've never, ever have seen an Edgeworthia, which is paper bush, bloom, you need to do it sometime in your life, I'm telling you. Lay down on the ground and look at the blooms. And they are beautiful. (laughs) And and if you've never had the the privilege of having, smelling the fragrance of an Edgeworthia. It is a killer. uh, It's like a gardenia on steroids. I'm telling you, I absolutely love it. But did y'all know that uh, you know Edgeworthy or there a lot of those are grown in Japan and they use they're used in the making of paper that's why they call it paper bush but this made me laugh in the production of Japanese bank notes ah mm. so it's really fine oh. paper they're making out of these <laughs> Edgeworthy uh, uh, but they're easy to grow you know they grow in really high shade filtered sun well drained soil. Uh, like everything else around here, you know, well-drained soil. But uh, it's nothing hard to about them to grow. 
as long as you find the right spot, you know, get good drainage, create good drainage, and keep them out of that hot, hot afternoon sun, mm-hmm. uh, man, they'll do just perfectly fine. Well, I think, didn't they post one on your Facebook page, Jim? They did. Yeah. I posted several pictures of it. In fact, mm-hmm. the one I have um, was growing where I put my my fish tank in, my, my uh, above-ground pond. And so I had to move it in July. Okay. Oh. So it was six feet tall, uh, six feet wide, probably four mm. feet tall at that time. And I cut it back to like eight to ten inches. Because really? you knew you had, to, you, knew you had to dig it up. And I had it. to dig it up, and I knew it wasn't going to survive leaving all that wood on it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I replanted it, and now it's back. It's four, four feet tall, not quite as wide, but uh-huh. it is really beautiful. Loaded with blooms this year. Now, they haven't opened yet because it's mm-hmm. still in fairly deep shade from the house right uh-huh. so it, you know take uh, a little longer yeah a little little later on how much root since you cut it back real far did you still get a big root ball i couldn't because it was planted next to a, a crepe myrtle that's Ooh. the trunk on it is yeah big around as all three of oh, us so together that was yeah. one of your reasons to even cut deeper well, into yep. it so oh. you know i got all that i could and yeah. just kept it watered and it recovered just fine Mm. Yeah, like you said, plants want to live. That's right. I do love that plant, though. And real quick, before we go to the break, can I bring this up about... Mm. uh, What is it going to be? Moles or cray myrtle bark scale? or (laughs) No. (laughs) Those are good ideas, though, Van. Talking to a gentleman yesterday, and a lot of people have this problem. You know, a lot of times we'll get grasses growing in our ground covers. And in this Mm -hmm. case, he had zoysia growing in established mondo grass or dwarf mondo. And we know there are some products out there that you can mix with water and spray over certain plants, including a lot of ground covers, to kill grassy-type weeds, including Bermuda, right? Right. Well, most of those don't have zoysia on the label. In fact, I don't know of any of them that say it will kill zoysia safely in dwarf mondo without hurting the dwarf mondo, Mm -hmm. unless you try to dig it out or spot treat with Roundup, right? But anyway, Jim, things like Invada, like over-the-top and high-yield grass killer, would this guy have a chance of getting rid of zoysia, even though it's not on the label, if he mixed it the correct way, sprayed over the top, just like you're supposed to, just like he was trying to kill Bermuda, would would he have a chance of getting rid of zoysia? Oh, I think he would. Um, now, l- l- let's say this. They're on the commercial label for um, the Fusilade-type products. There is a label to spray over the top of zoysia. To kill Bermuda. To kill Bermuda out of it. Because Bermuda is a whole lot easier to kill. So it's not that you can't spray over that. But what happens is when you spray it, it almost stops growing and it turns yellow. The zoysia would. Zoysia. But then it metabolizes it and comes out of it over a period of time. Mm -hmm. And I think if you continue to spray that. Like every 30 days, maybe. uh Through the season, that you're probably going to significantly impact the health of the zoysia. I like that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And that's what we talked about, and that's exactly what he's going to do. Yeah. Now, what I would also do is where it's growing into the Mondo, I'd take my edger and cut about three yeah. inches deep right there and sever it from the rest of the grass, yeah. okay? That way you've got all that root mm-hmm. system that's not going to be able to replenish the food in that thing. Right, because he right. said, I cannot yeah. go in there and hand weed because I'm a you know invariably mess up my dwarf Mondo, and I cannot go in there and spot treat with something like a Roundup-type mm-hmm. product because it's so thick. Yeah. Okay, so what if I get really technical and think? And think. I'm going to get technical and think. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all the, the uh, zoysias in the bed with the dwarf mondo. Right. So would you spray first 
and um, then edge it later? Like if you spray, but you didn't, would it pull it quicker or deeper, or would it matter just to edge it and then? No, because it's going to be absorbed through the foliage and move backwards. Okay, so what you want to do is go ahead and do your edging. And then spray at the same time, basically. Yeah. Don't wait to edge later. Right. Because, yeah. yeah. you know, like there's some weed killers that it's better not to cut it real real short right. and then spray because you want a lot of foliage. Right. Well, but also I told this gentleman, the zoysia needs to be actively growing mm-hmm. before most of these products right. would do anything. And what you don't want is to spray it and it actually move back into your good zoysia and make mm-hmm. it yellow. Yeah. Okay, because so, that's what it'll do. That's right. <laughs> and so, then the one in the bed will still be green, right? <laughs> yeah, probably. <Okay>. So yeah, <laughs> I would I would go ahead and cut it loose and then spray it. Yeah. All right, we're gonna cut this loose and go to a break. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back, gardeners. <laughs> she goes bouncing in her chair. This is such good music. Um, you know, you got to have music some kind of way. Music in the garden helps a lot, you know, especially if you're weeding or digging holes. Sometimes, you know, that helps. But you don't need to have music going all the time because then you'll miss the, the songs of the insects. <laughs> <laughs> like that cricket you know, yeah, that's in the house screaming. and you can't find him, you know. <laughs> but don't you just love the wakening up of of the frogs and the crickets and then like this morning when i walked outside what time was that like uh five forty yeah, five thirty yeah. and um the birds were singing i was like huh that makes me ready for spring but it's february <laughs> let's go to david calling from north memphis thanks for the call david how are you good morning gang how are y'all hey my friend dave how in the heck have you been buddy Oh, I'm finally starting to thaw out. That's January. <laughs> was that January? Ooh, that was intense. You know, it? but overall, we, we don't have a whole lot to complain about when it comes to weather. You know, and when it comes to really cold weather, David, because now two years in a row, you know, we've hit zero and I get it, but you know, they're they're you know, I don't wanna I don't wanna go up north, let me put it that way, where they see that almost, you know, for three months every year. Well, that's true. I was born in Chicago. I remember um, at <clears> five years old when the snow was over my head. See. I, I don't want to experience wow. at all. I know that's right. Well, buddy, what's going on well, today? Well, I, I got my 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 first pole saw from work, and for the listeners out there, I don't mm-hmm. make any money out of this, but work does a good job on the refurbished equipment, keeping them out of the landfills good warranties on them. Mm-hmm. Um, I burnt my other pole saw on one of my, my tree limbs. Um, I've been itching since I got it new. I have used it already. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I should have called y'all then. <laughs> but my my concern was how warm should it be before I start? It's pecan tree. Mm-hmm. Pecan tree, and for those northerners out there, no, it's not pecan. It still <laughs> like pecan. That's right. It still tastes like pecan. <laughs> so anyway, how 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 warm should I wait? You know, it's sixty today. You know, should I wait till it gets to seventy before I I I need to cut them off the sidewalk. I don't want the folks walking up and down having to deal with the bird generous donation <laughs> um, walking down the sidewalk. Sooner the better. Yep. Really? Yes. Yep. Oh. Yep. 
Yeah, you know, you could have done it in January and been just fine. The sap actually started rising in January. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, the sooner you can do it, the better off you're going to be. Now, you know, pecans are one okay. of the last ones to sprout in the spring, but they'll, um, but yeah, as soon as you can do it and get it, oh. get it cut. Yeah, I say, I say pecan. I'm sorry. It's, um, not pecan. It's, um, um, pine. Pine tree, same thing. Same thing. Yeah, David. Yeah. Okay. Good. If they, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I guess I'm reflecting on the, my, my my pecan tree in which we had to cut down, which oh. I missed. But uh, yeah, yeah, we had to y'all y'all recommendation, I, and then I I did an appointment, and boy, I was and I, I grew up on with that pecan tree. And so, I bet the anyway, I bet good. the squirrels miss it, you know, more than you do. Honestly, you know how that is, yeah, David. That's true. That's true. You know what they do? They they get on this. I think this is a willow oak with the real skinny um, leaves. Yeah. And what they do, they they go to my neighbor's yard, and get those real big black. What are those walnuts? I guess. Yeah. And they sit on. They get on my my willow oak tree, and they then they throw them down at my head, and then start talking to me. <laughs> They're asking where the tree is. They wanted that pecan tree yeah, back. We'll get you surprisingly back. accurate exactly. too, I know, aren't they? they do. <laughs> You know what I'm saying, Jim? <laughs> I do. Even if, they, if they miss me, even if they miss me, I forget that they're on the ground, and boy, that hurts. Oh, oh. yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, oh, David. What other things? What's that? I was just saying, you know, when, when you're talking about cutting back uh, some of the limbs on these trees, um, some trees mm-hmm. really bleed heavily uh, when that mm-hmm. sap is rising. So, you know, they you want to get in there and do it. Uh, you know, prior to that. Yeah, if you got birch trees and things, maples, you know, I'd like to do it in November. Right. You know, before the sap starts rising wow. in January. So, so David, anytime you're now, you're fine, buddy. Good, good. One other thing, and i got to let you guys go. Of course, I always appreciate you guys um, um, Saturday morning while I'm picking up other people's paper. <laughs> oh, yeah. And um, <clears throat> is, it, is, it, is it me? Is it me or the weather? But I, when I was young, I remember that I didn't have to cut any grass right. until like April. Right. But now <laughs> I got grass under that same tree that if I don't cut it now, man, it's going to be uh. above my, my hedges. <laughs> in March. Yeah, what I mean. What's going on with that? No, it's, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, hey, we'll look at it this way. A summer day when we were young lasted a month, Right. It seems like from morning to nightfall, it was forever. And, you know, mm-hmm. grass that really was only probably ankle high that we thought was knee high was not. So it, it, it's the way that we're thinking back, David, reminiscing about those things. And some of them are a little skewed, is my point. Yeah, but okay. boy, okay. yeah, I do not. I just remember winter being winter, you know, and not smell. I didn't smell the nice green grass until it was warm outside. Yeah. We wouldn't even go swimming until like the end of May because it would be so cool normally. But now, you know, we have that week like we're having now. And last week, you're going to be mowing. Yeah, we'll be mowing sooner than least. later. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you, guys. And, and I guess another thing that they said that was a lot was that it was going to when you got older, things are going to be so much easier. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, oh, I can't wait till I get grown. Yeah. Oh, David, Ooh. and they call it the golden years also. And everybody that I've talked to this elderly said, there's nothing golden about it. <laughs> well, Especially you know, now. there is food gold, Ken. There is food gold. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right, Dave, we love you, buddy. And if we can All do right. anything for you, you, you let us know. Appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Dave. Thank you.
That's why gardening is fantastic because gardening is still gardening. It's the same now as it was then. I would say maybe easier in terms of maybe some better tools you could use. Um, you don't have to have as many products mm-hmm. to, to take care of your yard either. And oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. That's a, It's a good, you're talking about products. One of the things we, we do want to do is thank our sponsors and our uh, our partners here, sponsor Palladio, who's been with us for a long time, and, and of course, Dan West. And, and, and also one of our, our, our partners is Herbis Systems Incorporated, which we want to talk about right now um, <laughs> because they are, I think, the premier lawn care company in memphis yeah and jim the beauty of herbie systems buddy you know this is they're local they've been here the whole time you know there's not like it's some company you know out of arizona out west that knows nothing about mid-south lawns and shrubs and trees um so these people know they've been here the whole time so yeah you know, their their program had studied his, he's done the program for the mid-south area and he and, hires good people yeah, that he can trust, you know, that's not, not anybody that walks in off the street. Yeah, so I mean, in you know, we hear this all the time, and I hear nothing but nightmare stories about a lot of these lawn care companies that are out there. Uh, but I promise you, I've never heard anything negative about this company, mm-hmm. and that means something. I'm telling yeah. you, because I know you can't please everybody all the time. I get right. that; no one can. But if you're looking for a really good Long care service that really care that know what they're doing around here in the mid south. Uh, I'm telling you, I'd give Herbie Systems a call. And Jim, I think that phone number might be four three zero zero one four eight four three zero zero one four eight. And of course, that is the number uh, to Herbie Systems. But uh, Kenny Crenshaw, the owner, um, he really believes in what he's doing. Well, you have to say, "Let me kill your weeds," <laughs> because that's what he's iconic for. And that, mm-hmm. so the Herbie, it's like. Some people say, uh, the, the Let mm-hmm. Me Kill Your Weeds company. I'm like, no, Herbie Systems. Right. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, if you don't know about Herbie Systems, you probably know it by Let Me Kill Your Weeds. Yeah, and it's not just lawn care service and killing weeds, what they're great at doing. Mm-hmm. It's also shrubs and trees and even irrigation. So they do it all yeah. for you, but they do it the right way. And to me, that's more important than anything. Well, you said that you, you spec, <clears throat> spaked of you spaked of him hiring good people, which makes me think of how it's garden center time, it's springtime, and garden centers are going to be looking for good people that like to hint, hint. yeah, hint, hint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> people with driver's license, yeah. <laughs> good people work that, ethic, yeah, that that like to work outside. That kicks out a bunch right there. I know, I know. It's it's hard to work in the garden industry, but the payoff is. It's really enjoyable. It's good for your health. You get a great tan. You don't have to spend a lot of money on clothes. You meet fantastic people. Um, you don't have to join a gym because you get your workout. So, I mean, maybe like all of us have says, the garden industry is you're not doing it because you're going to make a lot of money. You're doing it because it's just a good life. That's right. Yeah. yeah. All so right, when we get, check them out anyway. Well, well, you're right. Vader. When we get back from the break, I know we got to go to a break here in a second. We have a caller that we'll get to. I also want to get into cutting back limelight hydrangeas, which As Jim he said, hasn't done yet. Which Jim said <laughs> I should have already done. And maybe also a little rose bed prep. If you want to grow some roses, you know, what should we do to prep the bed for that? We'll find out right after these messages. 260-5926. You're listening to KWAM. Welcome back, gardeners. Glad y'all can join us. 
Today, we've been on this for two and a half hours, and we love every second of it. Love the questions that we get. Mm-hmm. Um, love the post on Facebook. Remember, there's never a silly or a dumb question. Oh, no. Really. There's really not. I mean, the dumb thing is not asking. <laughs> It's always hard for me it's to ask It's so question. much harder to fix it if you do it first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the trick. Ask. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's go to Jamie, the Master Gardener. Thanks for the call this morning, Jamie. Good morning. Hey, Jamie. Good morning to you, buddy. Boy, y'all really touched the string when you talked about how it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. that, we've, been, we've been going through a lot of that at my house lately. <laughs> we get something, we get it home, and Jen says, it don't taste like they used to. Right. <laughs> but isn't that the truth, though, Jamie? I mean, it honestly. Yes, and it's not just food. To me, you know, when we were young, uh, you know, everything was new. Everything was an adventure, right? And, oh, absolutely. And, and like I said, even the summer days, it seems like they lasted forever. But nowadays, uh-huh. yeah, not so much as we get older. <laughs> Used to try so hard to get outside, you know? Yes. You know, my parents made me yeah. do my homework before I went outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, man, it was just great. Now, you can't get them out. I saw this thing the other day where a lady said, you two go outside and play. So they went outside to picture window and were playing on the TV through the window. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> oh, Lordy. But some things never change, though, Jamie. I mean, like you said, you know, loving to take care of your lawn, cutting your grass, trimming your hedges, mulching the beds, doing all the things. Most people have an understanding value that they want their place to look pretty well, pretty decent. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not as important as it used to be either. You know, when you're first, first young or whatever, and you get the first house or two or whatever, and you think, man, I got to make that thing look good, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, But now, you, I was telling Jen, I just walked back in the house a few minutes ago, and I said, oh, that sunshine is deceiving. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hear you had pretty good turnout last week. Oh, we did. We really did. I mean, that's the reason I called to thank you all for your help with that. That, that really worked really well. We filled the place up and had some overflow. Good. But anyway, that's what we wanted to do, and, and thank you so much. I'm sure we raised quite a bit of money. We'll know more about that Wednesday next week, but uh, for Lecterman, I'm sure we raised some money for them, which is very important. That's great. And, and speakers were absolutely great. Yeah. Uh, they really were. And that was Memphis Area Master Gardeners Present. Now, the next big thing coming up, Jamie, with the Memphis Area Master Gardeners is going to be Spring Fling. Big, big Big deal there. Big deal there. That's our cash cow thing that keeps us all afloat. And then and, at, uh, and after Spring Fling, I think the next big event would be through our garden gates. That's that's correct, I believe. Now, I don't have a calendar in front of me, but I believe that's correct. Right. So and then, then we hit the biggie. Then you had the Great Tomato Contest. Oh, absolutely. So anyway, we are, we're looking forward to all this stuff. So. Yeah, it's great to see the people come out, and yeah, we could probably have sold twice as many tickets uh, had they had the room for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, fantastic. Anyway, who gets out of the first is with the mostest in the spring. You know, normally is is the winner, and and these mm-hmm. uh, things uh, like uh, Memphis Air Master Garden presents because people are tired of being inside; they mm-hmm. won't get outside. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, Anyway, the speakers were great, and thank y'all so much for your help. We really appreciate it. Glad to do it, my Always, friend. Jamie. Thank you, buddy. Thank Tell you. your sweet wife we say hello, and you have a great weekend. Y'all be safe. 
Thank you. Thank you. And speaking of Master Gardeners, I still have some Master Gardener calendars available. Yeah. And I've got them on a good price, too, because mm-hmm. since we're getting into March, I thought I'd sold them all, and then we found a stack. But the information is good from now yeah. on. Yeah. Well, that's true. And the you pictures know, are good, too. You, you just file it in your bookcase at the end of the year if you're mm-hmm. not using it as a calendar. For reference. Yeah, that's right. That's, true. that's exactly right. Yeah. Like the old Mid-South Garden Guide, right. just a smaller edition of it. And, you know, it helps support the um, the uh, Master <clears throat> Gardeners. You know, it just helps them with another form of getting financing to keep going. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, check us out for some Master Gardener calendars. It'd just be horrible to we have got a, some laying around <laughs> for the whole year, wouldn't it? We got a few sitting on the counter yeah. also. All right, guys. Um, limelight hydrangeas. You know, it's one of those things where... It's a it's a hydrangea that is really it fits the bill. I mean, it is tough as they can be. They bloom those beautiful white blooms in the summertime. They bloom off New Year's growth, uh, you know. So even if you have a bad winter, they're still going to bloom. So there's there to me. I can't tell you one bad thing about these lime lights, little limes, and bobo yeah, type I can't hydrangeas. Either, actually, I mean, other than they drop their leaves in the winter. And that's just not even a bad thing. But some people think it is. But, yeah, there's not a bad thing. You're right. But the limelight is one of them, you know, that gets the tallest. It's, you know, tallest is limelight. Then down from that is little lime. And then down from that would be bobo. But so many people have limelight hydrangeas in their landscapes now. My question to y'all is, and they still have the old bloom heads from last year. You know, this is the first year Veda finally got to me that I never cut those off in the fall. Okay, right. right. Because of you, I'm telling you. Thank you. So now, <laughs> should I go in there and just deadhead them, or should I go in there and just cut them back? And tell me what, Jim, because you've said this before, or Veda. Mm-hmm. What if what are the if I don't do anything compared to what if I do do anything as far as cutting them back? Yeah, well, you don't have to cut them back. Okay. Uh, if you do, don't they'll you know put on a little more height, not a whole lot, but you'll get a lot of flowers, but they'll be small. Okay. Now it, it will twig up in the top and actually cast some shape. If you prune them and you can prune them back whatever height you want, I always prune mine extremely hard back down to ten to twelve inches or so. Uh, what you'll get are these long shoots that will get back 10 feet tall by the end of the season, have these huge flowers on them that get weighted down in the rain and want to break off, <laughs> but they're spectacular flowers. Yeah, so you get much bigger blooms if you right. are cutting these back. Right. So, But like I say, you don't have to do any. I have one that's in what used to be a shade garden where I had to have uh-huh. two elms removed, and I keep it trained to tree form. And it's shading that big hellebore mm-hmm. I was talking about and a big clump of uh, sacred lily, the ro- rhodia, uh, and some beautiful um, arums yeah. that are in there, so uh, gingers. So there's there's lots of cool stuff that it gives shade on from that hot afternoon sun. And that's what I wanted to mention also. The beauty of these limelight-type hydrangeas, paniculata hydrangeas, is... They need more sun than shade. They'll yes. take full blazing right. sun. Plus, they're um, they're quick growing, so you can yes. almost consider it a small <clears throat> ornamental tree, or at least it could give you in the full sun a break for some things underneath as well. So, uh, and there's yeah. so many different cultivars now. The ones that mature to like limelight matures to a green color. Uh-huh. You have um, the ones that mature to reds. Oh, there's pinks. vanilla strawberry. There's PGs. Yeah. There's a strawberry jam. I mean, there's yeah. so many paniculatas on the market now, and I love them because, mm-hmm. they, like I said, they can take sun. They're great summer bloomers. They're very. They're long blooming. Also, yeah. the season is. 
and they bloom off the same year as wood. So it doesn't matter what kind of winter we get, you're still going to get those blooms in the summertime, unlike your old-fashioned shade-tolerant hydrangeas. Yeah, so, true. Yep, so it can't <clears throat> go wrong with that. I mean, that's like every landscape needs one of those. Every landscape needs a camellia. Uh, every landscape needs... Roses. Roses, roses. And, and can I say this real quick, because I know mm-hmm. we've got to go to break after a while. But I wrote down rose bed prep in my notes last night because everything kind of goes through, you know, ebbs and valleys as far as the fad, mm-hmm. you know. Back back in the 60s and 70s, 80s, 90s maybe, there <laughs> were so many. Yeah, but I'm saying so <laughs> many people, everybody grew roses, okay? Yeah, yeah. And back then it was just hybrid teas, grandifloras, floribundas, and climbers, but not, you know, the shrub roses per se that we have now. There's still shrub roses out there, Jim, you know that. But I remember Veda. when I worked at Danton West <laughs> down in Austin P. we we potted, was it, 15,000, 18,000 oh, roses? It was crazy, yeah. I mean, just huge numbers yeah. of them. But I'm telling you, people are, more and more people are growing roses again. Um, and, you know, one of the things is, as far as the bed prep, mm-hmm. roses are one of those where it's a beautiful blooming shrub is really what it is. I don't care what kind of, whether it's a hybrid tea, grandiflora, floribunda, or even a shrub rose. But the biggest thing is they do need more sun than shade. They love water, but they've got to have good drainage. How many times yeah. do we say that about a particular right. plant, right? They need great air circulation. Yes, they do, Veda. They want that pH up to where, you know, around six and a half. Uh, and they like a little uh, compost or a lot of compost actually added to that bed, especially if you're starting a fresh bed. And that's what I mm-hmm. was talking about. Get a plot of area, whether it's a raised bed or in the ground or in a bed, uh, add that compost, add that lime. Uh, And also remember, roses are heavy feeders, you know, because they're heavy bloomers. Mm -hmm. So make sure you're feeding these things at least once a month. And roses, brand new roses, you know, they should be available in about, what, two, two and a half, maybe three weeks, two, a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you've never grown roses, uh, they are easy to grow. There are some varieties out there that are extremely easy to grow. I'm talking about almost hands-free type roses, but they do need good sun. They They need good drainage. And feed them things once a month and make sure that pH is up where it needs to be. And you'll be successful. Yeah. Now, there are a few exceptions. Things, the lavenders, the yellows, try to shade them from the hottest afternoon sun. You know, they still need six, eight hours, okay, to get to get a good, healthy rose growing. In fact, they'll all grow there, Jim, what you're talking about. Yes, but you want to try to protect them from late afternoon sun. They just, they, they really were developed for areas like Oregon, California, where, you know, it's a, the, the politics are different, but so is the climate. <laughs> I was like, Sorry. where are you going with that I know. Break, break. I love it. Time for I have a to break. Rain. We'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back. Hope you all have a great week gardening, and hope we've given you some good information. Now, we are going to get some cool nights here. There are one or two going to be knocking around mid to low 30s. Yeah. So, you know, protect anything that you've set out. That's good, because I'm just not quite ready for the spring spring to hit. (laughs) I mean, I am, but I'm not. There's still prep and things I need to do before we're to that point. Plus, if we're warming up, then we're going to get colds, and then we might have a where it burns blooms and things like that off. It typically happens. I mean, this is end of February. Anything can happen, even in the month of March. I mean, it can be Mm -hmm. so up and down. 
But the beauty, you know, what I'm seeing is if you look at the long-term forecast, I mean, it looks pretty dang good. It does look yeah. good. Now, yeah. that doesn't mean, like Jim just mentioned, we're not going to have, and Veda said, that we're not going to have some more cold weather right. sneak in here. Well, like last year, I remember, <clears throat> and this is a weird way to remember how the weather was, but so I do Instagram videos uh, like once a week for work. And so the uh, spring, <laughs> about I think it was the middle of March, I was doing Instagram videos and had on summer clothes. It was that warm. And then after that week, I spent the next month in jeans and boots and because it was rainy and cool. Yeah. So just think of it like that. It's so up and down, so don't get in too much of a hurry. But there's still tons of stuff. I mean, you can plant bulbs. You read my you mind. Prepare your beds. You can plant any shrub that's available. We're just uh, saying don't go out and start severely pruning stuff and pulling uh, things off the perennials that are coming out of the ground. Well, like you said, Beta, you know, it's, you can plant trees and shrubs, not a problem. You can plant perennials, ground covers, all that stuff you can plant, not a problem whatsoever. It's just the thing that you need to be careful with are just the tender plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of those you can not go find now anyway until the weather is yeah. is conducive to bring them into well, the garden know, centers. There's something. I've tried to figure out what to do, actually. I have perennials at work that didn't go dormant. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we did take, I took them in the building for that mm-hmm. week of crazy weather. And then it was, there. the perennials are in a little extra protected area. But my Shasta daisies has gorgeous foliage. Mm-hmm. The um, penstemon, gorgeous foliage. And I'm like, so what do I do? Do I cut this back now so it can flush back out or do I just keep them in the bucket blooming or growing? Keep it, them in the bucket growing in know, there and put them outside like, and plant them. I things. know. The clematis in the greenhouse just decided to shoot up really fast. So I pull it out of the greenhouse so it can calm down a little. But you know there'll be something that'll knock that clematis back later. You know what I've noticed? The really bitter cold that we've had in the last couple of years. Like we always figured that Forsythia would be in bloom the last week in, in yeah. February. Right. right. It's really set them back because of that extreme cold temperatures, put them into a real dormant period. Uh-huh. But I've got Stochesia. I've uh-huh. got the Shasta daisies. I've got, um, they're all up, new foliage looking good. Even, even now. Uh-huh. Even now. Yeah. So things that uh-huh. are close to the surface, the yeah. perennials, that soil's warming up really mm-hmm. quick and things are coming along quickly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're seeing um, a lot of the, the deciduous shrubs were yeah. just set so hard into dormancy from that zero temperature uh. that they're going to be a little later this year. Okay. So and then, that's fine. Mm-hmm. So then this puts me thinking, because I'm saying, well, don't uncover everything yet. But if our perennials are trying to grow out and look good, we might need to pull some stuff back so it doesn't drown them out. But if we get a really cold spell and it knocks the perennials back, it's okay because they're going to come back anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's the beauty of perennials. I mean, in, you know, all of them. I don't know of any perennial. I mean, of course, you know, you're not going to find the selection at the end of February that you're going to find at the end of March. Yeah. But my yeah. whole point is whether it's a tree, a shrub, a perennial, or a ground cover, if you can mm-hmm. get your hands on it, you can plant it now. Yeah. Uh, and I know we're going to have some more, you know, up and down mm-hmm. weather. I get that. But they're going to be fine. It's just that tender stuff you want to be careful with. Yeah. And then boxwoods, you know, we God, we all know, gosh, you know, a year ago what happened to a lot of evergreens, including boxwoods. They were just hurt downright right then with that flash <laughs> freeze. And then we know all through the growing season that volatile blight really did a number on a lot of boxwoods also. But, you know, here in the Mid-South, people love their boxwoods, and there are there is a little care involved. You know, this time of year, 
I would say go out there and give them a good, heavy feeding of a non-burning fertilizer. And one in particular that I like to use is milorganite, mm-hmm. which is a good organic fertilizer because yeah. it's not going to burn those uh, boxwoods that have very shallow roots. So feed them really good. I typically like to put a little bit of lime around them just to keep that pH up or get a pH test to see what your soil level is. But typically a good heavy dose of milorganite, a little bit of lime around them, uh, a light layer of mulch there again because they are very shallow rooted and they don't like a very heavy layer of mulch. They don't need a heavy layer of mulch around Mm -hmm. uh, the boxwood. So this is the time of year to kind of get in there. And if you have any dead tissue, which I was talking to a lady yesterday, that they still have a lot of dead tissue in these boxwoods, go ahead and cut the dead tissue out. Dead tissue is not going to do you any good anytime, anywhere. Clean all that up, cut it all out of there, and hopefully what we're going to see is a good, heavy flush of new growth this spring. Yeah, and I would clean out, of course, any debris that's down in there that's falling through in the winter. You want to get all of that out because uh, that's just a, a good place for volatility. To, get to your hand root. in there, Jim, and get it out. Get a blower, whatever you have to Blow do. Blow it all out. And then if you've had trouble last year with volatility, I'd do a preventative spray, you know. Well, that was going to be my next question, Jim. I mean, because we know that volatility is always out there. It really affected the boxwoods that were under a lot of stress, okay? And Lord knows they were. But overall, we probably shouldn't see as much of that this growing season, should we? We shouldn't, no. I I think you're not going to see the issue. Where I'm more concerned is where people who get in there and do some pruning now into green wood, Mm -hmm. and that may leave a place for volatility to enter. So if you're you're cutting boxwoods, cutting out tissue that doesn't look good, dead tissue, brown tissue, whatever, Mm -hmm. are you still wiping that blade, sterilizing the blade between cuts? Absolutely. Things that make you go, hmm. Right. But I was looking up, sorry about that, but um, you said something about boxwoods, and it reminded me of a lady had come in and was looking for boxwood fertilizer. And so um, I'm telling her about the plant tone. Sure. Because it's got just all the great mixes, about the milorganite and all. And she said, no, she wanted one. It was just a Buxus fertilizer. And um, never seen that before. Yeah. So I just remembered it when you said it. So I'm looking it up and I'm thinking, well, the plant tone and the milorganite seems better than this, this Buxus fertilizer. I think it's because it's inexpensive. And Buxus is another term for boxwood. Boxwood, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it, I mean, it's what's got... The, what's the, the not, fertilizer on it? It's, uh, so far I've found nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, trace elements of sulfur, magnesium, and calcium. And what was the uh, Do you have the analysis? analysis? That's yeah. what I'm looking for right now was the analysis. Yeah, it seems like... Uh, okay. Well, just a reminder to everyone that the plants cannot read the label. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. It's a 10, 4, it's a 10, 4.3, 14.2. Whoa. That's a lot of potash. Why? I yeah. know. That's why I'm, that's why I wanted yeah. to look this there, up. There, and, there's no true all purpose boxwood yeah. fertilizer right. because boxwoods are planted all over the country and the soil is different all over the country. Exactly. Without a soil analysis, you cannot tell what you need and without finding out what the exact needs of that particular variety of box would grow best at mm. you, you just kind of you're you're worrying about something you don't have to worry about right and right. also i like to all for sure use a type of fertilizer that is non-burning mm-hmm. we yeah. all know boxwoods are very shallow rooted and that root system can be somewhat sensitive especially if you're using any fertilizers that have a 
to burn. Yeah. Well, and plus the fact that they are so sensitive to pH. You know, you don't want to put a fertilizer that's going to lower your pH constantly. Mm. Whereas milorganite plantones don't change your pH. And so, or- you know, not like Hollytone will drop mm. your pH. So it you're using... Just turn the label yeah. around, put it on there, and forget about it. They'll be just happy as they can be. And there are some synthetic fertilizers also, like a you know grower special or a start and grow, yeah. that are non-burning that you can still use. But and I it, like using those now. And there's some you need. Palm tone is good for palms. That's specifically for palms, okay? And there's a reason for that. And we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, got it. We will see you next weekend in the garden.